What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 96, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am realizing that I have to go the rest of my life without watching Tom Brady play football. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he's finally in a fantasy hockey playoff spot about damn time after all that junky talk at the beginning of the season. Francis, I know that's not your name. How you doing? Well, I'm happy to be in that playoff spot. I started out rough, and I am probably the most improved player in fantasy hockey since the league was created, and you know that's true. Oh, since the league was created, like 10 yeah. years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. And when I, made, when I made the playoffs my first time, I continuously have made it since then. I haven't missed since the first time I made it. So I was like, I started from the bottom, went to the top of the mountain, won the championship, and then I kind of stayed consistent and made the playoffs every year since. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I'm one and two in the championship, so I got to get another ring. Um, nobody cares about your fantasy team, though. I don't even know why you brought it up. That's weird. <laughs> um, Frank, we have a very special guest. What's up, Skokes? And we are going to get to that very special guest in period number one. Welcome to period one, Frank. I told you I would remember to go to period number one. I didn't do it with John Scott. I didn't do it last week. I always forget to send it over to period number one, but, you know, it is what it is. I lied about John Scott, though. He came during period number two. Um, we have a very special guest, obviously, a multi-time, a multi-time frequent guest on this show. Someone, if you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan, you've been reading his work for multiple, multiple years now, going back many different platforms, Committed Indian, now with the Bleacher yep. Report Blackhawks. We are what well, pleased to welcome on Tab Bamford. Tab, how are we doing? Oh, I'm working on it. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> I love that. Fantastic. I'm working on it. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> when people are like, how are you doing? Trying to do better. <laughs> Nobody ever says bad. How are you doing? Shitty. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm second to last. Yeah, but yeah, you're yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm second to last. <laughs> that's funny. Tab, I mean, you nailed it. Second to last since last we had you on. It was preseason. Right right towards the end of preseason was the last time we had you on and things were look, looking bleak in terms of this season then. They're looking bleak in terms of this season now, but not so much for the future. Since we last had you on, what's your takeaway? Um Oh, God, there's so much to unpack. Uh, <laughs> I think I said in the preseason that I was all in on the Luke Richardson train. That has not changed and has probably actually been strengthened. I, I think the best move that Kyle Davidson's made as the GM of the Hawks is hiring him. He gets it. Um, everything that you saw about him as a player and what he said in his introductory press conference has played out. Just a great leader. He understands the vibe in the room. So... Uh, everything about him has been great. I think that the team, when they've been completely healthy, has shown signs of being, um, maybe we'll say mediocre, um, but with a team that has injury issues and very limited depth and not a lot of scoring options uh, or guys that can get theirs whenever they want, um, they're terrible. Um, but they compete their butts off. And all you can ask from a team that's in a position like the Blackhawks is that they play their butts off. And they've done that pretty much every night. I think there's maybe been maybe two, three, maybe four instances of them just getting overwhelmed and having the bags packed before they got off the bus. So um, overall, I think it, it's been mission accomplished. The guys that they brought in that increased their value to themselves and the organization by and large, have probably done that. I think Max Domi has been the poster child for maxing out the opportunity. 
Um, some of the guys that they brought in have done a really nice job of fitting in and, and becoming really nice players like Jason Dickinson. Uh, and they are successfully right there where they want and need to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. So um, while the record would indicate failure, uh, when we really take a step back perspective on it, it's a successful uh, first day. We'll put air quotes around half of a season uh, with the All-Star game coming about 50 games in for most of the league. But I think it's pretty much mission accomplished. You've got the right culture building. Uh, you've got guys that are improving and uh, helping their value should the trade wins start blowing. And you've got uh, a record that warrants a top three pick. So, so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously it's no secret that the Hawks are trying to be bad for Bedard. But in their minds, they don't have that same mindset that the fans have or the fans want. And uh, they've actually been on kind of a little bit of a roll lately. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10 which if you're the Blackhawks, good for them. But if you're a fan hoping they get Bedard, maybe not so much. You want to see them, you know, tank a little bit and obviously to lock up a top three spot. Right now they got two games in hand on Columbus, Anaheim, and Arizona and three games in hand on San Jose, which could bite them in the butt. But um, how imperative is it that the Hawks get at least a top three draft pick in this draft this year? I think, I think really you look at – and I think before the season, we brought up the issues with the Russian uh, prospect, uh, Mitchkov, the fears that he's got left on his contract, um, clouding things, the politics with Russia obviously being a train wreck. So if you listen to scouts, many of them will still tell you that they believe Mitchkov is the second best player in the coming draft. But with all those other factors, I, I would guess that he's probably the third or fourth player selected, but really you want to be in the top four. That and makes total altered by whether or not Mitch Goff is the guy that you end up with uh, in that top four. Um, Leo Carlson might need another year, maybe more in Sweden, but I like his size and what he showed at the World Juniors. But I think really right now, if you want to start shifting the narrative forward and seeing some progress, you really want to be top two. You want to be Bedard or Fantilli. And Bedard's a different wavelength than anybody else. With all due respect to the numbers that Fantilli's putting up at Michigan and what you've seen from Carlson at the World Juniors and what some people will say about Mitchkoff, Bedard's a different player. This is a Patrick Kane-type player. This is a Connor McDavid-level superstar. Um, so it, it's really important, but you know, you bring up the fact that the Hawks are 6-4 and four in the last 10. They ended up January over 500, and yet they are still the second-worst point percentage in the league. And I think... You know, Gary Bettman took some fire for saying that he doesn't believe that teams tank. Um, I think what you're seeing is, is what Bettman wants out of teams that are going to be at the bottom of the standings. You know, um, you saw Columbus go in and win an overtime game in Edmonton, uh, which Edmonton then shook off and took out on the Blackhawks. Um, the Blackhawks have beat some teams that, you know, on paper and in theory, there's no way that they should have beaten this year. I mean, that Calgary game, shame on Calgary for showing that flat and awful, especially when you're chasing a playoff spot. But you've seen every team at the bottom of the league really have little spurts where they look pretty good and they beat teams they shouldn't. Um, and I think that's because the reality is no player is going to show up to the rink and say, well, time to suck. <laughs> uh, they're going to show up and do their job and play because they're getting paid. And if they don't like their situation, they have to play harder to get into a better situation. Uh, you want out, somebody's going to have to want you. And if you look terrible, one's going to want you. So 
you got to be healthy and you got to show up and perform. And uh, while the Blackhawks do those games in hand, you're right, there's a chance it could bite them in the butt. They sell as everyone expects them to at the deadline. And a lot of these pieces that are keeping the boat afloat, if you will, relatively speaking, second to last in the league. Um, if some of those places, pieces go, um, it's going to be a lot harder for them to generate offense down the stretch because I think that the front office is Kim Lucas Reichel getting playoff experience and playing meaningful games in Rockford. Um, and I think based on who they've called up, they want the same for Cole Gutman, who's been a really nice addition as a free agent down in the AHL. So um, if it's tough for them to score right now, if guys like Domi and Athanasiu are gone after the deadline, it's going to be even harder to generate offense and it's going to be harder to win games down the stretch. And it isn't like the schedule gets any easier in March and April. Um, you know, we haven't seen much of Boston <laughs> um, and they're a wagon. So you've got a lot of playoff teams or should be playoff teams down the stretch. So the sooner some of the trades start happening, uh, the better if you're hoping that the Blackhawks end up in the absolute bottom and with Bo Horvat moving, that's just going to accelerate the time. Uh, the center market kicking the high gear, which is great news for people who want to see you know, more significant movement. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sound like I was going to interrupt. My computer played a little bit of a trick on me where all the audio stopped. And I was like, oh, it must be my turn to talk, but I'm stupid. So is my computer. Um, I wanted to know, so you kind of touched on it a little bit. The Blackhawks, they're in second to last. They have these games in hands and whatever. Columbus didn't come into the season trying to be bad. You look at the all the, the other five or six teams kind of in that bottom of the league right now. San Jose we knew was going to be terrible. Anaheim, we were iffy on Anaheim, but, you know, nobody actually ever thought they would be like, a, you know, a, a really, really good team. Like they always came in kind of thinking maybe could be a Bedard team. Arizona's always a lottery team, it seems like, year after year. And then there's the Chicago Blackhawks who, you know, were clearly in a five-year rebuild, and that's from the words of the general manager himself columbus the team in dead last they went out and signed johnny goudreau and they're in on all these players and they make these signings and they bring in ken johnson to you know start his nhl career i actually kind of think that will elevate them as the second half of the season goes on so do you think the blackhawks actually are going to come in last place or at least have like a really good chance of being in last place because of the things you've touched on the fact that they're thinking about you know patrick kane jonathan taves Domi, Athanasiu, all these guys are UFAs at the end of the season. You'd think they'd sell them off and make them a significantly worse team. Well, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. Columbus is dealing with some massive injury problems. So that's the one caveat that I'll say. Is Ken Johnson motivated to chase a Calder? Absolutely, he should be because he's looking at his Michigan teammate, Maddie Beneers, running away with like the universal game the trophy already. My preseason pick was Kent Johnson because, to your point about the hype train around Columbus before the season, I think if he's sitting there with Gaudreau sniping and picking up, you know, apples all over the place on Johnny Hockey potting goals left and right, he'd have good numbers. And he's starting to feel that a little bit. Um, but they need to be healthy if they're going to do really much of anything. And the news this morning that Gustav Nyquist is done for the year does not uh, certainly help them. It actually hurts them because he was probably one of the forwards that they would look to move. Um, you know, the two big names that people were mentioning before the trade deadline in Columbus were Gabrikov and Nyquist, and now Nyquist is done for the rest of the regular season. Uh, it's kind of hard to bite on a guy and then try and integrate him in practice for three days before the playoffs start. So um, it, it will be interesting. I, I think, again, if the Blackhawks do sell to the extent that people think that they will, 
um, they should have a really good chance of finishing up with the worst record. Again, that the lottery balls are going to do what the lottery balls are going to do. All you can really do is, is get yourself in a position to have the best possible odds. And even if the Hawks end up second or third, they could still win the lottery. Um, but I do think that they're in a position to do really well uh, in the regard of being dead last. Um, the only real big question that I have is with a guy like Max Domi and certainly Jonathan Taves is uh, the culture that you're trying to build in the room. And we've heard the front office talk about building a culture and Richardson talking about how much he values leadership and culture. And those two guys have really been strong allies for Richardson in doing that. Um, obviously, Taves and Kane have to make their decisions individually and then have the conversation with their shared agent, Pat Persong, uh, with the Blackhawks front office about what that looks like. Um, but if, if they're looking to really try and establish a culture, there are scenarios where, you know, some people have talked about is Domi a building block? Is he a guy that they bring back? Yeah, I would submit if he really wants to play for Luke Richardson and his value is high, there's nothing keeping you from moving him as a rental and bringing him back as a free agent. He's a UFA July one. So, um, I do think that the Blackhawks will sell. The question is the lengths to which they will sell. Uh, what they'll do to fill the NHL roster once those guys are gone uh, and what that finished product will look like. But I do think the Blackhawks are really well positioned to not only add assets at the deadline, but also um, give some young guys opportunities while still successfully losing. You kind of touched on this a little bit, and I know you mentioned the trade deadline about five minutes ago, um, but what are some of the key players that the Blackhawks could really get some value out of by the March 3rd uh, trade deadline. I know Jake McCade, his value might have gone up a little bit. You got guys like, obviously, Max Domi and Anthony C., like you said. But is there anybody else that you think the Blackhawks could really get some decent value from before the trade deadline? Well, I think, honestly, the two guys that I think probably have the most value both have some limitations by a you know, limited no-trade clauses, and that's Connor Murphy and... Connor and uh, Jake McCabe, uh, two really good veteran defensemen who have shown that they can give you 20 minutes a night, who have cap hits in that $4 million range. Uh, McCabe's at four. Uh, Murphy's at, I believe, 4.4. So those are a couple guys, especially if the Blackhawks are interested in retaining money beyond this year, who I think could bring back really good value because I think they're both guys that fit a lot of what teams need out there when you look at teams like Edmonton and Toronto that are looking to bolster what they've got on the back end. Those are guys that would help them tremendously. Um, up front, Domi, Athanasio, I think are the two guys that you look at. It's pure rentals that everyone talks about. It's just a matter of time until somebody makes an offer and either one of them is gone. Kane and Taves will always be at the top of the list. But there's, there's some intriguing guys that have some term left uh, beyond this year. Blackhawks don't have a single forward on the NHL roster that has beyond next season left on their contract. So if you're going to take something off the Blackhawks NHL roster, you're only going to get it for one more year, if not be done with it this year. But look at what guys like Dickinson, uh, Taylor Radish, Sam Lafferty have done this year. Uh, and I could see them really, you know, being intriguing pieces for teams that need some, you know, middle bottom six help especially if you're looking at penalty killers guys that can bring some defensive you know stability up front but again it goes back to whether or not the Blackhawks are interested in moving guys that have some cost certainty beyond this year because if you turn the whole roster over this summer or at the trade deadline you got to hit the reset button on that entire culture piece 
Uh, and that's where having some guys with term, guys like Tyler Johnson and Dickinson and Radish and Lafferty, to fill out your bottom six and really be veterans that help the young guys that are going to be integrated in whatever they bring in via free agency. It's important for a young coach like Luke Richardson to have some continuity year to year, um, which I think is what makes the decision with 19 and 88 so important. But I do think that there are a lot of players on the Blackhawks that people be interested in. And I wouldn't be shocked if you saw them find new homes for some of the young defensemen in the system as well. Um, guys who might just not have room beyond this season um, who may or may not, you know, be in the longer term plan. Because when you look at guys like Nolan Allen and Kevin Korchinski and Ethan Del Mastro showing up at some point, that's going to cloud the realities for some of these younger guys as well. So um, you might see some minor moves with some defensemen uh, that are younger, uh, go get a new, a fresh opportunity. But sometimes those, you know, deals that feel insignificant at the time, uh, can actually really help out. And we've seen that a lot with Kyle Davidson's been able to do. You you know, they moved Alex Nylander to get Sam Lafferty. That was a win. They moved Riley Stillman to get Jason Dickinson. That's a huge win because they got a future second on top of it to eat some money. So um, so it'll be very interesting to see how many guys go. I think the, the Blackhawks will probably be the most active team or one of the most active teams at the trade deadline. For me, the only question is when does it start and how many guys go? So I want your thoughts on... I think the Blackhawks can corner the forward market out of the five or six teams that are like heavy, heavy sellers by the trade deadline. They have the most value in terms of the forwards that they could trade. Obviously, if they could see their way through with Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, moving those contracts off the book, obviously easier said than done because of the cap hit and no move clauses and whatever. And obviously you have Domi and Athanasiu amongst a couple others. Yeah, Connor Murphy and Jake McCabe, those are really nice players, right? Like the Bruins or the Maple Leafs, the Devils. Those teams would love to trade for a guy like that. But I look at Anaheim, and I can see them kind of cornering the the whole trade market in terms of defense because they have Shattenkirk and Kulikov and Klingberg, who might be a little bit more attractive to some of the contenders than maybe the guys the Blackhawks have, although the prices may vary. So that changes things. Do you think the Blackhawks, knowing kind of how the rest of the sellers are kind of looking at things, can they get another first-round pick, second-round picks? Like, what is the return that you think Kyle Davidson should be looking for by the time, you know, we're under a month away now? Yeah, well, I think a few things. Um, I think Timo Meyer is the next alpha piece to go in San Jose. Yes. It was kind of Horvath Meyer, and then let's see what happens from there. Um, with the defenseman in Anaheim, um, Klingberg's been a dumpster fire this year and Shattenkirk's got a lot of tread on the tire. Um, so I'm not sure that I would necessarily characterize them as dominating the defensive market. I think McCabe's probably McCabe and Gavrikov Columbus feel like they're the two that have the most, um, maybe electricity around their trade market right now. So, um, I, I, you haven't heard a lot of Connor Murphy. Um, I, if, if I was the Blackhawks and Jonathan Taves is not going to be here next year, I would put the C on Murphy if someone was going to wear the C for a couple years um, just because he's been such a good, stable leader on the back end. Um, with regards to the forward market, I think what Taves ultimately wants to do will make a huge impact. But when I look at can they get a first or multiple seconds back in this draft, um, you look at a team in Colorado that's working their way up the standings and trying to find a second line center. 
if Taves goes there, is it worth the you know a, a bottom five pick in the first round to rent a guy that can make it work? Absolutely. But do you need to get a third party involved to make the money work? Because that makes it a more expensive proposition for the Avalanche and the return less advantageous for the Blackhawks. So that's kind of the rock and the hard place when you look at that. If the New York Rangers are looking at bolstering their center ice position now that Horvitz on the aisle uh, and you look at what obviously Boston has down the middle and they want to improve and, and win some more faceoffs. Does Taves make sense for the Rangers? They have first round picks. Everybody links Patrick Kane to the Rangers, but honestly, I think if you look at their roster, Jonathan Taves might make more sense than Patrick Kane for the blue shirts, because if you want to beat Boston, you got to win faceoffs. And I don't see a lot of guys on that roster that are going to look Bergeron in the eye and have any kind of a chance in hell, much less the other guys that they've got at the dots. So, um, I think the teams that are ready, willing, and able to go chase a Stanley Cup have no problem giving up a late one this year if you can get the right guy. Um, the question is, who's the right guy? And I think if you're Colorado, would a late one make sense for a guy like Max Domi, who at $3 million, winning 55% of his faceoffs, who's going to end up being maybe a 25-goal guy, who brings a lot of energy? Um, you look at what Nazem Kadri was for the last year, um, I think when you look at the personality and skill fit, uh, I'm not going to say that Domi is a clone of Kadri, but when you look at the energy that he brought that they've been missing in Denver, uh, when you look at him being maybe a 25 goal guy, wins 55% of his faceoffs all of a sudden this year, that that's an intriguing proposition. Uh, Frank Cervelli said that the Blackhawks starting asking price from a cave is going to be a one, which to me, leads the assumption to be if the Blackhawks are willing to eat money beyond this year and they're willing to do it on him or Connor Murphy, a one's going to be part of the package. Um, so I do think that the Hawks do have the opportunity to go add another one. Uh, and I do think that a, another two is not out of the question at all. Um, again, it, it kind of depends on who the buyer is and what the ultimate total return looks like. Because if the Blackhawks bring back bad money, that's going to increase the value that, that you're going to retain here. Um, and whether or not you're going to retain beyond one year also makes a huge difference. I think with McCabe's situation, the reason that he's possibly worth a first and maybe a prospect to a team like Toronto is two more years at $2 million for a number three, four defenseman is absolutely worth it for them, given where they're at financially. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you look at the cup drought in Canada. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect by the time the dust settles, if everybody that we expect to go goes, right now the Blackhawks have two in the first, two in the second. I would imagine that they have six picks in the first two rounds and not four when the dust settles. So I think they'll add two. It's just whether they're first or seconds and what everything else looks like surrounding it. Yeah, you know, this next month for the Blackhawks is going to be very interesting to see how this team kind of evolves and looks different going into the first part of March. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts tab on Lucas Reichel back in January. I uh, think it was like the fourth or fifth. They announced Reichel was called up uh, because Kane went down with a little bit of an injury and uh, Reichel came up to play a few games and the word from the Blackhawks is that in the, the organization and everybody was thinking that Reichel was here to stay. They said, when Kane comes up, we're not going to send him back down. However, that was a lie because when Kane came back, they did send him back down. And I was kind of pissed about it because 
to me, now's his time to shine. Let him play with some of these young guys. If Kane and Taves aren't on the team next year, let him play with a, a couple veterans who know how to win and, you know, win cups and stuff like that. Give them that experience. But nonetheless, they send him down to the AHL. What are your thoughts on that? Well, one, one critical piece here. Um, when Luke Richardson was asked about how he thought Reichel was performing, he said he's good enough to stay and I think he's going to be here for a while. The front office never really weighed in. Um, and once he was sent down, that's when we heard from Kyle Davidson, and, and he indicated that the plan all along was we want him to be playing number one center minutes in meaningful games. With the Blackhawks, Domi and Taves are going to be your top two centers. Um, frankly, the wings that he would be playing with uh, if he was not skating as a wing with either of those guys, especially with Kane being out at the time, maybe wouldn't be as effective or productive as the guys that he was skating with in Rockford. So for me, what stuck out from that entire experience was when Davidson said, we want him to be skating number one center minutes, working on being a top line center. Um, a lot of people have, have said that they probably think that his ceiling is probably as a number two center in the national hockey league. He's played as a wing for the Blackhawks when he's been recalled. So the fact that they sent him down to work as a one C I think is important for his development and there's value in him playing in meaningful games. Um, I would love to see him get more run. I'd love to see him skate on the opposite side from 88 a little bit. I'd love to see him spend, if you wanted to be a one center, get some time to work with uh, Jonathan Taves while he's still here. But I also understand the idea of playing in meaningful games and playing with guys that are going to be with the organization longer term because meaningful games matter. Um, when you look at guys like Barbashev in St. Louis, who's having a really nice season, you know, he's, he's stuck in Chicago with the Wolves for what felt like forever before he got a crack, but he was ready to go when he got to St. Louis and the Blackhawks want these guys to be ready to go when they hand him the keys. So um, was it disappointing? Sure. Uh, but I think Davidson, the way that he explained it to me made sense. And I appreciated that they, if you want him to be a one center, you're not going to make Dome, Domi a two and Taves a three for all the reasons that we just talked about before the trade deadline. Uh, and sure. I don't think you want to throw him to the Wolves and have him taken one center faceoffs against grinders in the league. So I get it. Um, but the good news is he got bored. He showed that he belongs. And people that were questioning if he was a bust just because they hate Stan Bowman and everything that he did for the last seven years, um, I think can put some of that bust want to bed. I think Reichel's legit. I think he fits into that top six mold whether it's at center of the wing, obviously there's time to play that out long-term. But um, but again, if they want him as a one center, Rockford's where he's going to have to do that at least before the trade deadline uh, until there might be room for that at the NHL level. Vin, you're muted. Thank you, Frank. I, again, dumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'd be cool with him playing with Bedard next year. If Bedard was on Reichel's wing next year, that'd be awesome. You know, I, I think Bedard steps right into the league and plays with whoever drafts him one overall, you know, in day one, as long as he's healthy. And if Reichel's the guy centering him, we don't know the future of Taves and Domi, stuff like that. I absolutely could see that being the case. And another thing I wanted to touch on with you, Tab, Jackson Stauber. 
been really good in his time with the Blackhawks. Was sent down to Rockford for the, you know, all-star break. We'll see if they call him back up when it's over. Um, we've seen uh, Arvid Soderblom play well in his time with Chicago. Obviously, Peter Mrazek, uh, Alex Daylock, not part of the future or anything like that. Corey Crawford's not walking through that door anytime yeah. soon. We know Drew Camesso, you know, decent up and down stretches in college so far. Um, Team USA, you know, the pedigree's there with a guy like that. Do you think the goal I, – I know we asked you this on the last show, but obviously things change in, you know, even three or four months of an NHL slash junior slash NCAA season. I'm wondering, do you – like, is the goalie on this future possibly in the system right now? Is it one of these guys? Are they going to bring in a veteran? Like, what what would you do? Well, remember, they've got a couple years of Morassic paper that they still have to deal with, Um, which whole other – topic of conversation between now and the deadline is is there bad paper Bobrovsky in Florida who you would be able to flip him for save the team a boatload of money and maybe bring another asset for a second round pick back if that makes sense for both parties if they're truly committed beyond this year that might be more of a summer thing um, for a team like Florida that's looking to get out from under a, a really terrible contract when they've committed to somebody else um the organization loves Camesso. Uh, I think long-term, they want him to get every crack to be the guy. Stauber's looked really good, but let's remember that the sample size is two starts. Um, so, you know, he might come out after the all-star break and the, you know, the shines kind of come off the apple a little bit and he throws a couple crappers out there and everybody's done with the college free agent that they sign. So, Goalies are, are very much a temperamental business. Um, teams that give long-term big money paper to goalies are idiots in my mind um, because it's such a volatile position. So um, next year, if I was a betting man right now, I'd say it's Mrazek and Soderblom. Uh, I think if Stalock had been able to avoid the concussion the way that he was playing, he might have been an incredibly valuable trade chip for them. Uh, he may still have value, and he, he may still go if he can come back from his latest issue and, and show that he can be that guy down the stretch because at, a, at the league minimum, if a team wants to carry three, God bless. Um, but I, I think if you're looking at next year, I think it's Soderblom and Mrazek, and I think you probably have Camesso and Stauber in Rockford, uh, and it's up to Stauber to keep Camesso from taking that top job. But goalies, like defensemen, take time to develop appropriately. And so Camesso is going to give you three years at, at Boston University. I think everyone thinks that he'll probably get an offer from the Blackhawks once his season ends. And once that happens, it's kind of a, up to you to earn the NHL shot. But I think realistically, at least one full year in Rockford for him makes sense, at which point you can get Mrazek uh, a little bit further down the road with his financial obligations. Uh, and you've got a better idea if Soderblom can come up and be a 50-50, 60-40 next year have a better idea of what he's got at the NHL level. So is the future there? Probably, at least for the next, I think, five years. The question is, is that guy good enough to get you into the playoffs and win you a championship? And we really don't know that because we haven't seen enough from Soderblom or Stauber or Camesso to know what they're going to look like. And we really don't know what the heck the NHL roster is going to look like because the whole thing's going to turn over in probably the next two years. Um, with the exception of, you know, Murphy and Seth Jones, they don't have anyone signed beyond three years. 
So when we talk about that five-year event horizon, the only guy that you're assured of being here, including Lucas Reichel at this point, is Seth Jones, at least that we've seen play professionally at this point. So no clue what the defense is going to look like in three years. guy like Camesso is probably getting his best look in the National Hockey League. So it's really hard to say what they'll ultimately do when they get to the National Hockey League. But I do think that their plan for the next five years is that they've got goalie fairly well figured out. But with that being said, I, I would not shy away from the Blackhawks looking at drafting a goalie either this year or next year if the right guy's available at the right spot in the draft just because, again, it's a volatile position and it takes time for those guys to be ready. So having the next guy waiting at some point, if he's the right guy in the mind of the scouts, just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've gone back and forth with all the different prospects we've discussed for the Blackhawks. And even on this interview alone today and all the guys we've been discussing, the young and up-and-coming guys. But, you know, for casual fans, a prospect that I'm going to bring up may not be too familiar with them. I know you are, Tab. I know you've had some kind words to say about him. Uh, Jalen Lipen, who was drafted 216th overall in the 2021 draft by the Blackhawks, um, he's a very tiny dude. He's like 5'10 or 5'11 and only 150 pounds. So obviously he doesn't have much uh, body weight on him and to throw around. But what do you like about this kid? Um, and what do you think he could bring to the Blackhawks in the future? Well, it's interesting because he had a great post-draft season last year, had a magnificent playoff for Edmonton, and then got hurt towards the playoff run and really didn't play until two or three weeks ago because of that injury, which sucked because I think a lot of people because of COVID and having limited opportunities to bring guys in because you were still working your way out of the pandemic, really wanted to see how he stacked up with all of the forwards that they drafted this past year, because the front office clearly values speed and skill more than necessarily size up front back end size for days. I mean, you Nolan Allen was drafted because of his size and he was the smallest guy at prospect camp. It was mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, but I, what's interesting, he's come back and he's, he's more than a point per game guy since returning from the injury. His rights got traded. The Blackhawks gave him a contract over the summer, which means at some point he's going to jump into the professional ranks. I would guess it's when his junior season ends, he might find his way to Rockford at which point we'll see, you know, how does that 150, 160 pound body weight play at the professional level, even if it's the AHL, um, because guys like Johnny Goodrow have kind of crapped all over the idea that small guys can't play in the national hockey league. That doesn't mean that it's easy. And that doesn't mean that guys that don't have a lot of weight on them aren't going to get tossed all over the place. And I think the injury does raise some concerns, but this is a guy that over the last couple of years has shown really good playmaking ability at the junior level. The point production's obviously been there. So if you can transition that to the AHL level, when he does get that chance, it's great because that's another late round find. And you look at guys like Sam Savoie, who they drafted this past summer, again, not a big guy, a little more meat on the bone. Um, but there are some smaller guys that I think the Blackhawks see the skill value proposition in and see them being a part of what they might be able to do in the future. So if looking at forwards in the Blackhawks organization and you're reading scouting reports of who they might draft, when Bowman was a GM and the reason that I said Kirby Doc would be the guy that they drafted four years ago, it's because they had no size and Bowman needed size and he kept trading for size. Now if you look at it, guys like Nazar, 
Sabo, 5'10", 5'11". Leipin, 5'10". They care about speed. They care about skill. And they're going to let the let the dumpsters on the back end clean it up. You're going to have guys like Del Mastro and Vlasic putting guys into the third row for days, which I love. I, I, total man crush on Ethan Del Mastro right now. Um, really good player. Like, love everything that he brings to the table. So, for me, it, it's really looking at um, – you know, how does he transition from junior to the AHL level? And how does working with professional trainers and nutritionists help him put on some body weight without losing some of the speed and skill elements that got him the contract in the first place? Because that's the hard thing, right? Mm-hmm. You go to college, you play football or basketball, and you want to put on the freshman 20 and hit the weight room like a f- urban warrior, and you lose some of that speed or, or agility aspects because you just somebody told you you got to put weight on the to, – function at what you got to do so for me the fact that he's doing a good job now as a 20 year old let's see how he transitions into the pro ranks Um, i wouldn't expect him to be in chicago anytime soon Um, but i do think if he can get a full year of ahl hockey and work as a you know with the strength and conditioning guys nutrition as as a professional that'll help him and we'll be able to see what he can do as a pro tab we have one question in the chat before we let you go sg sports talk channel asks who are your top five hockey players of all time Oh God! I know that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's, wow. let's, Frank, let's go. Can to... you can you rip off your five quick, Frank? My five hockey players of all time. I mean, I I all the five popped in my head right away. So I could think of like three, maybe. I'd have to think really dive deep into five. Are we going personal preference as a fan, or are we going the greatest of all time? Oh, I five. took it as I was going personal, personal. preference. Yeah, I, the five best. Can you like really argue them? You, the, you can't argue. Oh yeah, more. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the Mount Rushmore is is pretty easy to do. Um, you know, it'd probably be Gordie Howe, Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, Mario Lemieux. Yeah, undeniably. And then five that, that, argue, that's I guess. But... Probably your 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 Mount Rushmore. Um, in my lifetime, my favorite players that I've enjoyed watching play um, as a Blackhawks fan. Uh, I'll caveat it at, as that. Uh, though some of these guys played boldly uh, in other places where I appreciated them. Uh, 19 and 88 would be in that five. Uh, I would say Savard and Larmer would be in that top five. And then I'd start having conversations about who number five is um, because two number sevens would be in, in the fighting for that between Seabrook and Chelios. Marion Hosa would be a, it, in, in the mix for that. Jeremy Roenick would be in the mix for that. Um, it's a tough question. Keith would be in the mix for that. So, uh, and then other guys that I've enjoyed watching in other cities, um, guys like Ovechkin, Crosby, McDavid, Gretzky, um, Mario Lemieux, even though he broke my heart when I was in sixth grade. Um, so it, it gets really hard at that point um, to kind of limit that fifth spot. But I, I will say the the three jerseys, the first three jerseys that I bought when I decided that I was an adult and I was going to stop growing vertically and just hope that I would still fit in them horizontally by the time that I kept wearing them. The first three jerseys that I bought were Dave Larmer, Jonathan Taves and Brent Seabrook. Uh, wow. And from there, and from there it was, uh, it was mixing it up from there. But uh yeah, so top five for me, it, it, the fifth spot gets tricky. Uh, but my favorites to watch, I think the guys that played together in the 80s, uh, Sabrina and Larmer were magic. 
for you know a decade together. And then what Tapes and Kane have been able to do over the last 15 years has been special as well. So those four are locked, and then it really starts to wander around a little bit because I loved watching guys like Lidstrom and Eiserman, even though they were in Detroit. And someone's going to tell right. me I'm a fraud for appreciating what Red Wings did at some point. Um, loved watching Joe. Loved watching Joe Sackick play. In 10 years, you might ask me, and I might tell you that Matty Beneers is the closest thing that I've seen to Jonathan Taves coming into the league, and I fall in love with him head over heels because I do believe that he's the closest guy that I've seen to Taves come into the league uh, since Taves. So, I mean, there's so many guys that the league is in a really good place right now, and every time there's a barn that Connor McDavid skates in that is not standing room only, hockey fans are wasting time watching that on TV because watching him in person is different than any other – any other, with all due respect to Ovechkin and Crosby and Kane and the other stars in the league, make, what McDavid does on the ice when you watch it in person, just different, just different. But there's so many young guys right now. I mean, Jack Hughes in, in New Jersey. Like, if I could make one trade as a GM, I'd just figure out how the hell to get Quinn Hughes with his two brothers in New Jersey by the end of the year and just let it go, right? Yeah. Give them the numbers that the Hanson brothers had and have them be the complete opposite because they're nice guys. And they're not going to kill anyone, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's so many good young players in the league right now. It, it, it's such a good play. But those are at least four of my five, and then I really start, as you've just heard, wandering because there are so many other players that I've really loved watching over the years. I mean, if I went to answer that question, it would be the same. I'm sure for Frankie too. Frankie, you look yeah. like you have one more thing to ask Tab before we let him go. Well, I was just going to say, he just respects hockey, and if you like the guys from Detroit, even though they're big Hawks rivals, you just respect the game of hockey and respect their gameplay. That's it's just how it is. Oh, I mean, the Rangers are my least favorite team in the NHL, and I one of my favorite players in the league is Adam Fox. You know, he'd be one of the few guys if I can like just pluck him off their team and put him on the Devils right now. It would be Adam Fox. I mean, I, he's unbelievable. Exactly, that just comes in sports and hockey, and literally. Well, and there, there are guys that I've talked to over the years that I start having biases about because when you talk to them and you meet them, they're just such class acts. And for me, like Eiserman and Lidstrom are up there. Marc-Andre Fleury is way up there. Stamkos, like top of the list, just class act guy who's been through hell and back, and he's back at playing at a good level. So seeing him get to 500 was really freaking cool because he's just a class guy who's worked his butt off to get to where he is and stay there and come back from all those injuries. So that's one of the tricky things, too, is when you start talking to some of these guys and, and get to interview them and, and spend a little time talking to them, you start to develop some biases. But there are a lot of just really good guys in the league right now. And, again, that's why I say the league's in really good hands now and into the future because when you see guys like Bedard and Fantilli coming, that's, that's going to change a whole lot, too, especially if they land in the right markets and they get enough – you know, talent around them and TV time really get more fans around the, the tube and mm-hmm. uh, in the seats of various arenas. And I'm sure you deal with this too, like when you start covering drafts, like I started really getting heavy into junior and ho- uh, college hockey once I started covering hockey, like for a living. And it was one of those things like guys, well, you'll study them for 
months hoping that your team drafts them, but then when your team ultimately doesn't draft them, it's like, well, I'm not just going to start not loving this guy now. Like Lucas Raymond on Detroit, I was like, if he falls to the Devils, like that's my guy. Like I want, and now every time Detroit's on him, keeping an eye on Lucas Raymond, and you know, certain stories like that always come up. So, but Tab, we can't appreciate you enough for coming on our show. It yeah. is the ultimate pleasure having you on. I love having you on. Very candid with your answers and thoughtful, and I appreciate that very much. Give the audience a way to find you. Let them know what you're doing and you know promote yourself a little bit yeah hit me up on on the twitters i'm at the one tab uh writing every day multiple times a day over at bleacher nation uh covering the blackhawks and uh every once in a while throwing stuff up at the fourth period as well so hit me up very much appreciate it tab is the best work best work on the internet frank absolutely It's, Um, it's fun to read his work and yeah i saw the top 20 prospect article go up today so uh yeah, thank you for coming on the show, and I appreciate it. Absolutely. And, Frank, we would like to send it over to period number Absolutely. two. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. We can't thank Tab Bamford enough for coming on our show. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I mean, I love his work. He's been a prominent person around the Blackhawks for a long time. Um, yeah, I love it. What do you think of the conversation? Um, yeah, it was a lot. What I love about tab now, this being his third time on the show, all his answers are not short. He's never short with you. He's always likes to give detailed answers, kind of dive into it a little bit. And, um, yeah, that's what I I really like. Yeah, absolutely. I huge fan of his work. I I loved that conversation right there towards the end. Can you come up with your all time five favorite hockey players? (laughs) Um, yeah, that was uh, – it's hard. Um, you want me they to? Pop, they popped in my head right away. I'm biased, though. They'll probably be all Blackhawks. Mine are biased. Almost, almost all mine have a tie to the Devils except Taves, one. Kane, Crawford, Keith, and Hosa maybe? That's a good one. Stamkos would be up there, though. I really like Stamkos. Um, we all do. Dustin Brown would probably be in my top ten. For sure. We're a, Stamkos, we're a Stamkos family. Have you noticed Patch that? Ready. Yeah. Like, like everyone, everyone loves Stamkos. Like, all of our cousins, Joey, me, you. Like, that's one of the one players we all agree on. Right. Uh, for me, when that question popped up, like, there was five that just immediately popped in my head. Um, only one is – or two are, act, two are active. Like, it's Zach Parisi, Martin Brodeur. Patrick Eliash. I would put Nico Heischer because we saw him get drafted first overall in person. He's the captain of the Devils now. Always will have a little bias towards Heischer. Um, And then uh, Patrice Bergeron. Those were the five that – so three of the five are still active. Um, Patrice Bergeron's always – but he's like what I want Heischer to be. He'd be up there on my top ten probably. Yeah. And you start expanding it to top ten. Stamkos, of course, Taves, Kane. Um I love Connor McDavid. I love Leon Dreisaitl. I have Genny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, I'm naming some of my all-time favorite players, and you start getting, like, high into the 10s, start reaching the 20s. Like, <laughs> just freaking love hockey. It's such a hard question. It is. It's very tough. But I, I agree with Tab's Mount Rushmore of NHL players all time. I would put Sidney Crosby at number five, though. I'll take all the flack I can for it, though. I 
there's nobody other than those top fours career I would take over Sidney Crosby's. I just he's gonna have close to two thousand points if he doesn't get to two thousand points. I do believe he'll break Yager's second all time scoring, um, only behind Gretzky. He won't quite score eight hundred and ninety something goals like Ovechkin or you know Gretzky or anything like that. But it was always about making everybody around him better. Selkie worthy defensively a lot of the years. Three time Stanley Cup champion, World Cup, uh, two time gold medal. Rocket Richard scoring titles, heart trophies. Sure. Uh, Sidney Crosby's the fifth best player in NHL history, in my opinion. That's interesting. I don't know who I would put five. I'd really have to think about it. I'm pretty sure, but only two active players are in my top ten of all time NHL players: Crosby oh, and Ovechkin. Yeah, yeah. Yager is probably in the top ten. Um, he's the greatest European-born player ever. I would put Messier. Um, I think McDavid will pass Crosby for five one day, and Crosby will get booted down to six. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation, no doubt. It is. Uh, thank you, SG Sports Talk Channel, for that question. Absolutely. Frank, the Bruins have lost three in a row. They stink. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, kind of surprising, right? The first time they've lost three all year. First time they've lost two. In a row, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that's not surprising, given how well they're doing. But you got to look at the teams they lost to. They lost to Tampa Bay, elite team. They lost to Carolina, elite team, playing fantastic this year. Then they lost to Florida, which that's like the one, eh. I give them an eh. Matthew Kachuk has the second most points in the NHL in 2023. I mean, those those are three, I mean, pretty big teams to face. And obviously when you're losing to Florida and you got a couple other losses under your belt, then that team, like you're losing to a team like Florida, is like not as a, as a surprise because you're already kind of in that little slump. And now they play the Toronto tonight, which should be very interesting uh, as well. But I remember telling you that in the second half of the season, things would start to even out potentially for a little, a little bit for the Boston Bruins. And I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, like 500 the rest, of the, the rest of the way. But, I mean, the first half of the season, would they have four or five regulation losses? And now they have two early on in the second half of the season. So in terms of that, it's going to probably start evening out a little bit. You weren't going to come out and just have another four regulation losses in the second half of the season. Like Tab says, come March and April, games get a little bit tougher. Um, things get a little bit tighter. Division races obviously get a little bit tighter. So it's going to be tougher down the stretch when you're playing more meaningful games. Um, but, I mean, you can't really – face this type of adversity when you have an 11 point lead in the division and a nine point lead in the conference, it's like you can lose five in a row and you're still looking pretty and probably going to win the division in the president's trophy. So um, they're on a little bit of a lull, but I don't think there's nothing to worry about in terms of the regular season, the rest of the way. Hear me out on this and tell me whether or not you agree or disagree. I think it is a good thing for the Bruins because if you go into the postseason like that Tampa Bay team, a couple years ago and you just think you're so good nothing could go wrong and then you get swept by columbus in the first round uh the bruins i mean they've lost three in a row now they know what it's like they know what they they know what it, they're gonna know by the playoff starting how it feels to need to get your shit together yeah and i think that's yeah. a good thing it is a good thing, obviously. You want to go into the playoffs hot, but there's a little bit of a time in between where you don't want to like start that right now. You want to start that with about 15 games left in the regular season and go about 10 and 5 in those last 15. I think that's really good. Um, it'll really boost your um, your just energy going into the postseason. Your 
uh, mindset. Uh, so yeah, I think right now, if they were to lose some games, now's the best time right before the break. You're going to have a little bit of a break from the all-star game. And, uh, I think, um, they, they really got nothing to worry about the rest of the way. I agree. They're going to hit the all-star break after their game tonight against Toronto. We'll see if they're able to end the slump. I'm obviously very much looking forward to that game between the Leafs and the bees, but, uh, we had a trade big trade. Yep. Probably the biggest trade mid season this season so far. Mm-hmm. And I would officially declare the trade deadline season open as a result of this trade taking place. It is the first big domino to fall. Bo Horvat was traded to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for a 2023 protected top 12 protected first round pick. Atu Ratti, the Islanders number one prospect and Anthony Bovillier, one of the top scores on the New York Islanders over the last five or six years. Um, Frank, I have a very strong opinion about this trade. I've tweeted about it a couple times. I'm curious to see if you agree with me. Yeah, I think um, Vancouver definitely won the trade, I would have to say. Um, it's very interesting that Bo Horvat would go to the Islanders for a variety of reasons. One, there's no guarantee they get into the postseason. And when you look at how, where they are and where they stack, I mean, they're two points out, but have three extra games played on Pittsburgh and Buffalo teams are playing. So those teams, Pittsburgh and Buffalo, they got three extra games in hand over the Islanders and you're already out two points out of a playoff spot. So that that's interesting, but obviously you get their number one prospect, um, which is going to help Vancouver and the protected first round draft pick. Now Lou Lamorello said, it gives them a better chance to get what they want to do and makes them better to get into the playoffs. That's the reasoning on getting Bo Horvat onto the team. When you insert Bo Horvat into this lineup and you compare other guys in the production in this uh, New York or uh, this Vancouver, oh my God, the New New York Islanders lineup, Bo Horvat had 54 points this year. He's a 30-plus goal scorer already. He's got 31 goals, right? 54 points. The leading goal scorer for the New York Islanders or point score for the New York Islanders and goal score tied for goals is Brock Nelson, 19 goals, 27 assists and 46 points. Anders Lee, 19 goals as well, 16 assists, 35 points. But you're adding Bo Horvat, who's going to take that lead. It's going to take a 12-goal margin. He's having 12 goals better than anybody that's been playing on this Islanders team. It's clear that the Islanders are struggling for offense, and maybe Lula Amorello's right in saying that this is what they need to get that boost into the postseason. However, I'm not buying it. I want to make something clear. I don't think the return Vancouver got for Bo Horvat is wild. Because you're going to see the Sharks get the same thing for Timo Meyer, A top prospect, a high draft pick, and an NHL player. That's what's going to San Jose for Timo Meyer. It's not the return. Like, I don't think the Vancouver Canucks won the trade because of the fact that they got what they got for Bo Horvat. That's not why the Islanders lose this trade. My reasoning for the Islanders losing this trade is because I don't think it was a necessary move for them to make. They stink. They are slow. They are old. It is one of the oldest teams in the NHL. It is one of the slowest teams in the NHL. The Athletic, me, fan-sided. We all have the Islanders dead last in overall prospect pool, and you traded the one guy who's at the head of your mediocre mountain in this trade. It, and they traded a, a first-round pick again. That's four straight years. They have nothing. 
going forward. And if they sign Bo Horvat to a long-term extension, first of all, why would Bo Horvat do that? I don't understand why he would want to sign long-term with the Islanders based on the direction that they're going. Um, I, I just think it was a terrible, terrible thing for the Islanders to do. Like it would, I honestly think it's more likely that they flip Bo Horvat again before the trade deadline to get their assets back than it is for them to like go win a playoff round with him. Yeah, and that's it's not, not going to happen. What? Him get traded again? No, they wouldn't do that. That would be stupid that you traded your number one prospect just to trade him again. They won't do that. I, I understand. I agree it would be stupid. But if they're out, way out, if they're 10 points out of the playoffs by March 1st, I do think it's possible. They want him for the future for sure. I Yeah, and I just don't understand why their future is not bright. They are closer to being a lottery team than they are a Stanley Cup champion. In my opinion, I cannot believe they made this trade. Again, it's not what they gave up to get him. It's why they did mm-hmm. That is annoying to me. I can't believe that they did that. Um, I mean, Bo Horvath's a great player. He, no doubt he makes the Islanders better. Even if they squeak in by the skin of their teeth this year, um, what are they going to get blown out by like the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round? If they play the Devils, they'd absolutely dummy them. Like, feed me the Islanders in the first round of the playoffs if I'm the Devils or the Hurricanes or the Bruins. Like, oh, I just can't believe they made that trade. Like, it's just so strange to me. I don't understand it from their long term perspective at all. It's weird. Even if you sign them long term, okay, you got Bro Horvath as your number one center. Uh, you paid Matt Barzell all that money because you claimed you wanted him to be your number one center. Well, now he's at minimum your number two center, but they're talking about putting him on Bo Horvat's wing. Well, I thought you paid him all that money because you think he's your number one center. What are you talking about? Now you're backtracking. It's just uh, it, what Lou Lamorello is doing. It's almost like he's lost his touch. Listen, I have nothing but love for Lou Lamorello. He's the greatest GM in Devils history. He's one of the greatest GMs in NHL history. Three Stanley Cups, multiple you know, high draft picks, all sorts of things that – help them become what they were back in the day. Do you know the story behind Bo Horvat with the Devils and all that? No, I don't think so. Lou Lamorello, in one of his final years as Devils GM, traded the ninth overall pick to the Vancouver Canucks in exchange for Corey Schneider. Corey Schneider comes to the Devils. He's awesome. Who does Vancouver use that ninth overall pick on about five, not even like two minutes later? (laughs) Bo Horvat. Because it was traded at the pick. It was one of those things where, like, the Devils didn't even go to the podium. They were on the clock, and they traded the pick. Um, They took Bo Horvat. Now, lose with the Islanders. He trades to get Bo Horvat back, and Corey Schneider's their starting goalie in the AHL. So it's just all full circle for Lou and the Islanders. I don't really understand it, but it is what it is. I agree. If I was an Islanders fan, I would be annoyed today. I don't know. It's cool to have him on the team, though. If I was a fan, I'd be like, hell yeah, we got Bo Horvat. Yeah, but you have the weakest prospect pool in the league. It's kind of like where the Blackhawks were three years ago, but no Taves to possibly trade, no Kane to possibly trade. Um, And, you know, I guess they have Korchinski and all that now, but three years ago they didn't. The Blackhawks were in a tough spot. Absolutely. They were, and they've come out of it. They've come out of it a little bit. Um, They've come a long way. Yeah, they certainly have. But, you know, the Islanders don't have a Taves or a Kane to trade. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, it's just bleak on the island right now. And they'll be okay the rest of the season, right? Like, you touched on it. Anders Lee, Brock Nelson, Zach Parisi's having a really good year for a 38-year-old player. Like, I mean. They got um, a lot of ground to make up. Yeah, I think they're toast. I do, too. 
the it's the top eight and Buffalo. Eight of those nine will make the well, postseason. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's just how I see it. There's a slight chance for the Islanders. It's not as bad as the race was last year when it was locked up already. No, it was pretty much the top eight at this point. All right, it's it's eight of the ten. Fine, yeah. I'll give you it's eight of the ten, including the Islanders, but I like Buffalo's chances better than the Islanders. I like Pittsburgh's chance better than the Islanders. Well, I do, too. I like they got more games in hand. And yeah. They're already ahead of them, but you never know. No, you never know. You could go on a little slump. We've seen it from both Washington and Pittsburgh. Oh, I'm praying for Buffalo, though. <laughs> oh, please, Buffalo. Tage, Tage, my man, beat Carolina tonight. Let's go, Buffalo. Um, Frank, who's your biggest surprise in the NHL so far this season in terms of a team being better than you expected? Honestly, it was going to be the New Jersey Devils, but their only right answer here has got to be the Seattle Kraken, who currently lead the Pacific Division. Right, And I thought the Devils would be good, but I didn't think the Devils would have been this good. But I didn't think the Seattle Kraken would be this good, where they are on top of the mountain, and below them is the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, the Seattle Kraken have been incredible. And they got they got a one-point lead and two games in hand on Vegas. So it, it's proving that what we thought about them initially, about them being competitively bad, we were so wrong about that. I don't know. There's something. Jared McCann is just, who would have thought 23 goals out of Jared McCann? Are you kidding me? Dude's got 35 points, nothing by nothing great by any means, but he's got 23 goals, which is like if you would have told me McCann would add 23 goals at this point in the season, I would have probably looked at you like you had three heads. Um, ben Years, obviously, he's been a big piece of this team. Um, but, yeah, that, that Seattle Kraken, man, they're good. They're going to probably make the postseason. I'd be shocked if they didn't. They may win the Pacific Division for all we know. But uh, I do expect the Vegas Golden Knights to come out swinging in the second half because they know they're not going to let this division go down easy without a fight. I completely agree with you. I, you know, you would think that I would mention someone like the Devils. Of course, we thought they'd be good, not this good. Winnipeg thought they'd be good, but not this good. Um, there was one other one I had. Oh, Buffalo thought they'd be good, but not this good. I had only one of those three making the playoffs, but the other two being near the bubble. Um, especially Winnipeg, but Buffalo, I thought Buffalo would be okay, right? Like, yeah. I didn't necessarily think of making the playoffs or anything like that. They still might not, but the only answer is the Kraken. Absolutely. I legitimately thought the Kraken would be right there with the Hawks and the Ducks for Bedard. And a team we're going to talk about next is there instead, but I, uh, it's the Kraken. I mean, they're going to the playoffs, right? They might win the Pacific Division. I actually think Edmonton is going to win the Pacific Division. They're going to come up from nowhere and have a six-second half. That's my weird prediction. I'm not necessarily guaranteed to be right, but that's where I'm at right now. But the Kraken, man, they're good. They're going to be good. They got Ben Years, Shane Wright's coming. Um, we'll see what happens with them going forward, but uh, the Kraken are in a good spot right now. Absolutely. That's like the only right answer, really. Yeah. There are a couple right answers for this one, though. Who's the team that you thought would be good? They're the biggest surprise bad team. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go with the Ottawa Senators. Um, I thought they would be okay. You know, when we were doing our preseason predictions, they were a bubble team for me. Um, I was on the edge. Do they make the playoffs? Maybe they won't be as good because Cam Talbot's not going to start for a month to start the season. So I'm like, okay, maybe they won't be. As good, but they'll probably be a bubble team, and maybe when he comes back, they'll contend. Right now, they sit in 14th place in the conference and 7th out of 8th in the division. They are terrible. Um, Cam Talbot's been terrible. 
He's 12 and 13. His save percentages are terrible. And his last three losses, his save percentage is 840, 789, and 737. They keep getting worse. Um, it just he's lost five of his last six games. And it, the, the thing is, like, the Brinkett, Giroux, Kachuk, they're all producing decently. They could be producing a little bit better. Um, couple of them, or one of them, I think, is um, or only Kachuk is point per game. The others aren't, which they should be. They should be better than that. Alex Debrinkit is capable of point-per-game player for the year, and so is Drew, even though Drew's production has kind of gone down the past couple of years. But that being said, I, I really thought the or the Senators would be a little more productive in, in terms of a little bit of a fight when Cam Talbot came back. But it seems like he came back and things went even more south, so they got to be one of my biggest disappointments this year. Yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. Ottawa's a little worse than I thought they would be. I think Brady Kachuk is a superstar, right? Like I honestly think he's one of the best power forwards in the yeah. NHL. Him and talented Matthew. roster. Yeah, and Debrinket. Yeah, Stutzla's been on a tear lately. Yeah. Um, Giroux, he's on the decline. Debrinket needs a centerman that can feed him the puck so he can score lots of goals. He's the definition of a pure sniper. I do think all the forwards will be there as the years come along here. Um, Tough, tough year on defense with injuries and whatnot. Um, I'd like to see Norris start to find a way to be a little bit healthier. Um, we'll see if that's ever able to be the case for him. I, I like watching him play, so obviously. But my answer is the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're in dead last in the NHL. They're the only tanking team that wasn't supposed to be tanking going into the season. I never would have ever, ever, ever thought coming into this year that Bedard would have a chance to go to Columbus. Um I agreed with you on Ottawa in the uh, preseason, and we both mentioned Detroit in that conversation as well. But still, even at that time, I would have told yeah. you Detroit and Ottawa had a better chance at Bedard than Columbus. That's just I, – I Columbus for the last five or six years have been like one of the best teams in the NHL. They barely missed the playoffs last year, but I you know, mm -hmm. thought adding Goudreau would add to that a little bit. Line's there. Um, you know, I'm just stunned at how bad they've been so far yep. this season. And – so they're my biggest disappointment in, in terms of a team negatively. Um, let's move it over to player. There's a lot of great stories in the NHL. Obviously, this one probably feels more like a comeback player of the year type of question. But what player has positively um, been better of a surprise, more of a surprise for you this year? See, this is where I got confused when I was reading over everything, and I thought I was supposed to choose somebody from that team that was good. So that's why I mentioned McCann and Beniers and Talbot and as the bad player. Um, so I, I, I really don't I'm trying to think. I mean, there's guys who are playing incredible this year, but I really couldn't. Maybe I'd go with Morrissey mm, from from one. Winnipeg. That's a really good one. Because I mean, I didn't expect them to be this good, and it, I, I mean, we said they could, they have the capability of being, you know, a powerhouse if they decided to perform up to standard. But um, I did not expect Morrissey to be as good as he's been this year. Um, he's really helped this team solidify themselves as one of the best teams in the Central Division, and I probably wouldn't have have ever predicted that he's having as good of a year as he is this year. That's very fair. My answer is Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson is the leader for the Norris Trophy. I never thought he'd have a bad season, but he's surprised the crap out of me so far this season. I'm honestly shocked at how good he's been. He's been worth every penny of his horrible $11 million contract. It's like weird. 
So I am one of the people I would vote for Eric Carlson to win the Norris Trophy. It would be his third in his NHL career. He has been my biggest surprise in a good way this season. Frank, who's been your biggest surprise in a bad way? Well, I think I'm just going to go with Patrick Kane. We know the Hawks were going to stink. Still thought Patrick Kane. He was my, you know, leading goal scorer coming into it for the year for the Blackhawks. Dude sitting at nine goals and 25 assists. That's bad. I know that's a, it's a very bad team and you don't got the right players around you, but it's Patrick Kane. He could bury 25, 30 goals and you wouldn't be surprised. But the way it's going, he's on pace for about 18. He's not even on pace to get a 20 goal season. And it, to me, that's just a big disappointment. And with all the rumors going around that, you know, there's trade value for him and wanting to trade him, it doesn't help his case at all. Um, he's just having one a, a really bad year that I wouldn't have, have predicted. I completely agree with that. That was a thing for me, but I had a feeling you were going to say him. So I ventured out into the wild and tried to find somebody that I think is considered a disappointment this year. And listen, I do not think this means that either of these, any of these players are going to be bad going forward, especially one like I'm about to mention who changed teams this season. It's never easy to change teams. We saw with Doug Hamilton last year with the Devils, he wasn't very good in the second half. And it's like this year he's going to be in the mix for the Norris trophy again. Um, that player is Jonathan Huberto. He's got 33 points. Um, he's going to hopefully reach 60, right? Like last year he had a hundred and something, mm -hmm. 110, I think. And it's not for lack of talent around him. Obviously Kadri's there to Foley, Lynn home, Rasmus Anderson, Mikhail Backlund, Manjapani. There's lots of talent on Calgary. They're a bubble playoff team. Uh, if Huberto was playing like he did last year, though, I had ventured to guess they'd be better than a bubble playoff team. They'd be a solidified Stanley cup contender. Um, I think Huberto bounces back next year. He's one of the most talented players in the league. Wouldn't shock me at all if he has a really good year next year. But as of right now, the Kachuk deal is working out in the favor of Florida, who well, they have their issues in other ends of the rink, but Matthew Kachuk has been one of the best players in the NHL this season. He's second to McDavid in points in like the last six weeks or so. Um, just an absolute dog down there in Florida, but Huberto has been a little bit disappointing for me. I'd like to see him climb it back up. I actually forgot about Huberto, probably because of how off he's been this year. Yeah. He's not really been – there's not been much to talk about him, so I really haven't thought about him. For sure. Frank, is as we enter the All-Star break, is the MVP, the Hart Trophy, already won? 100%. I don't think there's really discussion here. I can't make an argument, truly. I mean, We can argue who will be nominated along with, of course. Well, of course. Oscar going to be nominated. and um, But when you look at McDavid's – come on. He's got 92 points. Is there really an argument? It's it's like the odds even. He's minus 550 to win. Pasternak, who's having a tremendous year, 38 goals. You could have a 50-goal season. He's going to have well over 100 points. He's at 71 points right now. The odds of him winning it, the second-best odds, plus 1,600. And that's like an elite player, one of the best players in the league. It, it's locked up. There is no argument. The only reason the odds on McDavid aren't higher is because there's a chance McDavid goes out and snaps his leg and he's out for a year. That's the only reason. Other than that, it's locked up. It's set in stone. There are seven players in the league on pace for 50 goals. <laughs> I say at least three of them hit it. At least three of them David hit it. David and Pasternak. Could, I don't know anybody else who are. Tage Thompson, Miko Rantanen, Jason Robertson, Jack Hughes, and Alex Ovechkin. You're on glue with Ovechkin. He ain't getting 50 goals. I said on pace. Math. Numbers. Not my opinion. 
He might. Well, who's your opinion? You said there's three. I said there could be three. I don't know. I think Tage Thompson scores 50. I think Pasternak, McDavid. Pasternak and McDavid are locks. They only need like but who's the other one? 12 or nine more. Jack Hughes easily could. How much only, is he? He has 33, and the only yeah. reason I think he could. That could happen. He needs 17 more in like 40 games. Um, he would if his pace from like Thanksgiving to now was this season, he'd be up there with McDavid and Pasternak for the Rocket Richard. Right. Like he he took a couple, he took like five or six games to get going. Um, yeah, you're on glue though if you don't think Ovechkin can pop five in the next six games and then be at forty and then all he only needs ten more. What a joke. I mean, come on, Frank. You're better than that. I'm not saying he's going to get 50, but he's going to come close. He's got 32 by accident. It's kind of been a slow goal scoring year for Ovechkin, and he's got 32 on February 1st. I don't want to hear it from you with Ovechkin anymore with my glue. You're on glue. Well, when it happens, let me know. Okay, well, if he gets to 48 or 47, I ain't surely going to feel wrong or anything like that. Oh, it's not. Well, you are wrong. You it's are not, wrong. I don't, not saying he's <laughs> going to get 50, but he's going to be damn close, and he's going to only need about 60 or so to break the record. It'll be done in two years, tops. Um, yeah, Jack Hughes, though, he scores at a higher pace lately, and I think sometimes that matters. Like, how have you been doing since – Thanksgiving. Well, you've you're actually third in goals in the league since Thanksgiving. If it didn't take you two weeks to be scoring at a half a goal per game pace, you'd be up there near the top. Jack Hughes, Jason Robertson, these guys have kind of been coming along as the season goes along. Tage Thompson, David Bosternock, and McDavid, though, they've been steadily scoring every other game all season long. So absolutely. Um, those are my guys there. But yeah, McDavid, he's got the heart trophy locked up. Locked I think up. I think uh he predicted it too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because last year was a Matthews year. Yeah, last year was a Matthews year. Matthews will win another one in his career. I think uh, Jack Hughes will as well. So will McKinnon. But um, McDavid. Now the Rocket Richard, that's up for grabs. Yes, that is absolutely up for grabs. But, I mean, I'm looking at the Hart Trophy. Kucherov will be in the mix. Um, Eric Carlson, depending on what team he's on. Jack Hughes. Matthew Thompson. Yeah, of course, Tage Thompson. Nobody will ever talk about Leon, though. Why can't two Oilers be nominated? I told you last week it's not going to happen. That's just a joke, though. That's stupid. But it's not. He's not the most valuable player on the team. I get that, but it's a joke. It's just tough. It's tough luck. It is It's tough good luck. luck to have because you want that on your team. You want two guys that are like that, but it's just tough. It's not do, you know who, do you know who leads the NHL in goals at five on five? I don't. Jack Hughes. McDavid and Dreisaitl. Can I guess him? McDavid and Dreisaitl, for as wonderful as they are, they are power play merchants. They hit the power play, and they get two, three points a game doing that. I mean, Jack Hughes gets his on the power play, too. He's He's got 33 goals, and 22 are at even strength. He's got 11 power play goals. That's a lot. Now, make no mistake about it. Jack Hughes a power 100%. play. But, like. The things McDavid and Dryside like McDavid's got 41 goals and he doesn't have as many five on five goals as Jack Hughes. That's honestly unbelievable. So once the Devils power play starts cooking a little bit more, maybe he'll be, you I know, mean, up there. But that's the same thing with the Devils. If Jack Hughes was a uh, the heart trophy a heart trophy candidate, and somebody else like he sure was having a great year, he sure wouldn't be nominated. It's no, the same thing. He sure will probably never win a heart trophy because he's on the same team as Hughes. Well, that's what I'm saying. And but he could win. He could win the Selkie this year. I wouldn't be surprised. He's that type of player. Yeah, I mean, he sure's point per. Game. I mean, he's probably not going to win the Selkie though. Let's. I mean, there's some. Why? 
I, I think he's in the running. Yeah, of course. Hell, I, I just don't know if he'd win it. I don't know. Not this year. It's hard, right? Bergeron's always in the question. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's just, just hard to like dethrone those types of guys. Yeah, uh, you're right. This I'm time will at, come. Yeah, I mean, top but 20. In, he's got the face-off numbers for sure. Um, he's got the points, which kind of stupid that points matter. But his expected goals against when he's on the ice is as good as anybody in the league I'm seeing here. Like, all these things that they use, he's he's in the conversation. But as far as Hart Trophy, McDavid has it locked down. Frank, is there a team or a player, you could say one of each, that has been down and out in the first half that you think are going to rise above in the second half? That doesn't mean the team's not in a playoff spot right now. right. It, like, just I'm talking like rise above in the second half. I do. I have one of each. I'll start off with my team. The team is the Colorado Avalanche are going to rise up. Listen, they've won six of their last seven games. They're seven and three in their last tens. They're their last 10 game. They're getting hot right now. Not to mention Bowen Byram and Josh Manson are nearing a return. The Nikushkin injury that he went down with is reportedly not long term. So, I mean, th- this all-star break is going to be huge for the Colorado Avalanche. You're going into it hot already. You're going to get some extra time. You're going to be get a, a week extra of not playing to rest these key pieces to get healthy for the second half of the uh, the season. They finally have been playing up to standards lately. They went into this season as having the best odds of winning the Stanley Cup once again because they won it last year. Everybody knows they're a powerhouse. You got McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr. Georgiev, who's just been playing phenomenal too lately. And I think Nikushkin, when he comes back from his injury in the second half, he's really going to rise above, man. I mean, 34, he has 34 less points than he did last year, but that's because he barely played this year. So when he's healthy and he comes back and everything I just mentioned, all the above, this Colorado Avalanche team is going to rise above for sure. There were my pick as well. I absolutely think that they are going to not, uh, I don't know about run the table. Obviously, they're not going to win every game, but they're going to be pretty damn good in the second half, I think. They'll get into the playoffs. They'll be a hard out. They'll win around. I like, I'd be very, very scared. The Western Conference is weak compared to the East, excuse me. And Colorado is going to be right there in it. I honestly think the two wild card teams right now in the conference are the two most dangerous teams in the conference. I really do. Because yeah, that for Colorado. I'm not. And every team early in the season shit on Edmonton because they were struggling. They're one of two teams in the league with four twenty goal scorers. Oh, you think it's all McDavid and Dry don't you? You think it's all McDavid and Dry You're gonna look like a fool very, very soon. Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Evander Kane is back, Tyson Berry, Darnell yeah. Nurse, the crew. They got the goalie now with uh Stuart Skinner been outstanding. Like the whole crew, the Edmonton Oilers and the Colorado Avalanche. Another team I'll throw a little bone at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're in third in the Atlantic Division. They're a lock to make the playoffs at this point. They have a nine point lead over the Buffalo for a playoff spot, but they're 32, 15, and one. They've played 48 games. That's not where we expect Tampa Bay to be, though. As good as that is, we would all sign up for it for our favorite teams every year. But. They're going to really, I think, I see them starting to cook 
in the second half. Uh, Stamkos went on a goal-scoring drought when he was stuck at 498. He got 499 finally, and then he scored 500 a day later, and then he got the 503 in the same or 502 in the same game. Now he's been scoring like he normally does. He, he'll be a 30, 40 goal scorer once again. And, you know, he's the fifth best player on the team. Braden Point out of his mind. Kucherov, him and Dreisaitl are going to battle for second in league scoring all season long. Um, they have the goalie with Vasilevsky and Victor Hedman is wonderful. They don't have McDonough anymore, which, you know, that's an issue. That'll be an issue come playoff time, I think. But Tampa Bay, they're a team um, to worry about in the second half. Um, who's the Absolutely. player? Who's the player? Well, hold on. But if there's a team for the Bruins to lose to and really like give a run for their money, it's definitely Tampa and Carolina as well. I mean, th- these teams, Tampa Bay, like every other team in the Eastern Conference who's going to make the playoffs should be worried about Tampa Bay. I agree. And the same goes for the Western Conference. The seven other teams should worry about Colorado because if Colorado makes the playoffs. <laughs> but anyway, my player. Is from the Central Division as well, just like the Colorado Avalanche, but it's not on Colorado. My player is Tyler Sagan. I think Tyler Sagan's going to really rise above up in the second half. Dallas is in first place right now in the Central Division. Tyler Sagan's having an off year, and that's weird because if Dallas is in first place in the Central Division, he was one of my key pieces on how they would be doing better this year is by Tyler Sagan having a better year. He's only got 34 points in 51 games. That's barely half point per game. He's the sixth leader in points on his team. So he's not even top five on his team. Um, But I think this break that's coming up is good for him to refocus a little bit. He knows, and the Dallas Stars know, what they need out of him in this organization, especially if they want to make a run during the postseason. They need Tyler Sagan to step it up. You got to call it like it is. Yeah, they're having a great season, but if you have a guy of Tyler Sagan's caliber performing up to his ceiling, we know how good the Dallas Stars could really be. And, and and he knows that. The Dallas Stars know that. He's going to take this break, um, this little week break for the All-Star game, and really use it to focus on his game and re- retool his mind a little bit. And I think he could come out excelling in the second half. I completely agree. Um, I am looking at Austin Matthews, who's having – equally as good of a year as he was last year in terms of his all-around game, but the goal scoring is down. He's going to miss about a week, week and a half following the All-Star break, coming back from his injury. I think this time off is going to do wonders for him, and he's going to come back, and I don't think he's going to make a case for the Rocket Richard anymore like I did kind of think a couple weeks ago, but his scoring started to come back just a little bit before the injury you know time away because i think he's been injured all season long and finally something happened against the rangers where they're like all right you know what why don't you just take three weeks and we'll talk and that's exactly what has happened um a lot of his goals are tip-ins and rebounds and stuff like that once that wrist feels better and the shot is back to being what we know it could be from austin matthews look out for him i said tampa bay was my team austin matthews is my player the playoff series that doesn't include the devils because the devils are my favorite team they could be playing a youth team and that'd be the series i'm most excited for besides that the series i'm most looking forward to in the postseason is tampa bay versus toronto i see big second halves from both teams with the players on those teams very excited about fuse and what's coming for him in the second half absolutely Skills competition Friday, eh? I'm excited. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Preview it for us. You know, I was trying to find uh, players for each comp. That's not out yet, right? I'm not going to. It's not out yet. The only thing I've heard is that Crosby recruited McKinnon for the splash something. Okay. 
Yeah, it's the uh, it's the um, splash shot. Okay. It's like the dunk tank one. I kind of touched on it a little bit last week. The yeah. Three new competition. I'll preview it a little bit as best as I can. So the competitions we got, we got the fastest skater. It's not new. Everybody, you know, it's it's fun. I like a little bit of a race. It's it's always interesting to see these guys put their speed to the test. Hardest shot, in my opinion, the hardest shot is not what it used to be back when Weber or Chara were doing it. That those were some of the best times. I mean, guys don't nearly get up that high anymore. Um, but you got the hardest shot. Breakaway challenge is always fun. One of my favorites. Accuracy accuracy shootings iconic to the skills competition. Um, and then the three new uh, competitions, Splash Shot, Pitch and Puck, and Tandy Tandem. On top of it, there's going to be five women hockey athletes um, participating in the skills competition this year. Got Alex Carpenter and Hillary Knight from Team USA. And over at Team Canada, you got Emily Clark, Rebecca Johnston, and Sarah Nurse. Also, Roberta Luongo will be a celebrity goaltender in the Breakaway Challenge. So that'll also be really cool to see as well. Bobby Lou back on the NHL ice even though he was my arch nemesis on Vancouver. But uh, that that's what I got for you. Yeah, I mean, I – There's not again, much else to say without the players, knowing the players. And- yeah, all I'll say about the skills competition is I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see what they have Jack Hughes do. Um, Crosby and McKinnon cooking up something fun. They're obviously very good friends. I wish Brad Marchand was there because um, those three are three peas in a pod. They're all from the same little area there in um canada but you know brad marchand's busy at home firing off tweets at steve dangle on twitter (laughs) um making fun of pretty much anyone who crossed paths with him on twitter um it's honestly hall of fame twitter moments going on if you go to brad marchand's twitter right now and look at his replies to people um but what do you got for the all-star game obviously the central is going to play the pacific and the metropolitan division is going to play the atlantic and then of those games who do you have winning the thing i've been on this earth almost 25 years wow and, and, you, and you know what i've learned over those 25 years is that when it comes to skills competition in any sports it really doesn't matter if you have the most skillful players on your team guys are out there to have fun um, so when I preview the central versus the Pacific and I really look at it, yeah, I would, me personally, offense could go either way. It, it's just the way it is. When I look at goaltending, I prefer Hellebuck and Soros from the central over Skinner and Thompson from the Pacific. So just because of that alone, and it's so hard to predict, I'm going to take the central division to beat the Pacific division. All right. You want me to keep going, or yep. you want to you want to touch on the? Nope. I'll I'll touch on that. Now, when you go to the Metro versus, well, and, and obviously the Pacific has Connor McDavid, right? But in an All Star game, who cares? No, I know. I'm right? not like, on your pick. It's like John. Look how John Scott performed in the All Star game, right? So it's just it's it's hard. It's hard, but it's fun. That's what I love about it. Vinny's waiting to roast me. He's getting, <laughs> he's getting ready. The Metro versus the Atlantic, the Atlantic division. VP, you're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to go with the Atlantic to win the division or to win the that division battle. It's a tough call, though. I was sitting there going back and forth because I, I do think. Why you let? Let me guess. You have Pacific and Metro. Yeah, he does. Talk, he has the Pacific and Metro. Let's talk. You got that dumb look on your face. Um, I was sitting there looking at the rosters and everything. It's a tough call for the Metro and the Atlantic. It really is. It, it, it's very tough. Got great talent on both sides. And some may argue some of the better talent may even be in the Metro division. 
it's hard to argue, but uh, you know, it's it's very possible. I'll leave it at that. I want to let you speak. You got that look on your face? Who wins? Because the Central has never won it. I'm taking the Central Division to win the NHL All-Star Game. The last time the Central was even close to winning an All-Star Game was back in 2015 when it wasn't three-on-three and Team Taves won the All-Star Game. They're going to get it done. They've never won a three-on-three comp skills competition. They get it done this year. Oh, boy. I love bias. I love bias. Speaking of bias, you're wrong. Goaltending ain't mean shit. I know. means way more. It's actually, it's actually, first and foremost, about goaltending versus offense in three-on-three. Yeah, but they don't try. Nobody tries. Okay. Okay. If somebody's on a breakaway, they'll try to do something fancy. It's like they don't care. Connor McDavid so you're on glue, and buddy. the Pacific Division are coming for that ass. They are just loaded with talent, speed. Central has like Seth Jones. There's no Seth Jones on the Pacific. And Seth Jones is a good player, but he does he's not. Oh, we got three on three. Here comes Seth Jones. No. I sleep. No. I mean, Connor McDavid and the boys are getting ready for a big win over the Central Division. The Pacific Division always wins in the first round um, against the Central. And then who's the second best player in the NHL? Jack Hughes. And the Metropolitan Division, you got Sidney Crosby. You got Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, these guys are – they could – they could be nearing the end of their careers. They only got like five or six years left. They're going to try and make the most out of every single all-star game. I mean, you got Artemi Panarin. Oh, man. Svechnikov. The two best goalies in the NHL. This uh, Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the NHL. but And the, the Vesna Trophy winner are on the Atlantic. But, I mean, with all the forwards, give me Shesterkin with... Sorokin. I mean, what a tandem that is. And the Metropolitan Division are going to smoke the Atlantic Division without their best player, Austin Matthews. Pasternak's a game changer, I do believe. In all seriousness, the most important thing for the three-on-three competition is skating. Um, you could be, you could have the best shot, you could have the best skills, whatever. If you can skate, you can play in three on three. And the best skaters are on the Atlantic Division or on the Pacific Division, and the Metropolitan Division. You got those two in the final, and in the final, <laughs> when Jack Hughes is going up against Connor McJesus for the second year in a row. Jack Hughes will have a multiple goal performance. They gave the old man Giroux the car last year, even though Jack Hughes clearly deserved it. He deserved the MVP. Even old enough to competition drive. Too. He might not be. That's not what's important here. What's important is being the best at hockey. Only McDavid is better than Hughes. And I'm telling you right now, though, McDavid against Hughes, he's going to be like, whoa, that guy. He's sending sauce over to Artemi Panarin, and he's scoring the way that he does in the All-Star game. 
Oh man, what's going on, Travis? Shout out to Metropolitan Division, right? He's smoking something. I mean, I'm telling you what, the Metropolitan for the second year in a row take it over the Pacific Division in the final game of the All Star Game. Let's go, Metro. Tab slipped you a little something to puff on, huh? Yeah, he did, VP. (laughs) You know it. You're laughing. I'm telling you what, Frank. When we get to the NFL portion of today's show. Uh, you know, I don't know if you have stopped, if you have learned. No, I didn't learn. We'll you have learned it. anything that it's when VP tells you something, you take it seriously. And I went 0-2 on my NFL predictions, but with each of them, I told you, and you there was one specific talking game about NFL where now you gave hockey? that team no chance. And I was like, no, they have a chance. And we'll get to the reason why they had a chance. Uh, I know what you're going to say, you and your excuse factory. <laughs> but I'm telling you what, Frank, the Metropolitan Division, they're the, they've always been the division with the most skill. And it's only going to get worse as the devils rise over the next couple years. But Jack Hughes, he's ready and he's got that youthful. You know what McDavid doesn't have? When he plays against Jack Hughes, that exuberance, that let's go, baby, that's just not coming out of McDavid's mouth. It's coming out of Jack Hughes's mouth. Let's go, Metro. I got no words for you. Disgusting. Frank, what do you want to see in the NHL in the second half? I want to see a complete opposite of last year's second half. I want to see battling from both conferences down the stretch until they're like there's no tomorrow. The last month is almost like an extra month of playoff hockey with all 32 teams in the NHL. You got the bad teams who are playing the good teams, but the bad teams are trying to screw, like, say, the Carolina Hurricanes are winning the division and stuff like that. That's what I love. And last year when things were locked up in the Eastern Conference, it made it boring. I didn't care. If you're the eighth-place team and you couldn't move up, it's like, well, we're we're not going to get dropped out of a playoff spot. We're locked in. So why do we care? Those games become meaningful if they're not competitive, we're losing out on an additional playoff hockey month. So I want to see a little bit of competitiveness down the stretch. And luckily right now, we, we got that a little bit on both sides. So I hope it stays that way. I completely agree. What I want to see in the second half, besides more parity, which we already have that going into the All-Star break, unlike last year, we're already headed towards that direction. Um I want to see my favorite team, the Devils, clinch a playoff berth for the first time in like four years and for only the second time in the last 12. So I really, all joking aside, would like to see Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and the boys rise above. And that day that they clinch a playoff berth, my eyes will be misty. And I'm very much looking forward to watching Devils postseason hockey for the first time in a long time with actually a chance to win a round, I think, too. it's just, it's going to be a very exciting second half. I can't put into words how excited I am for it. As the weather starts to warm up here after the All-Star break, it'll be so much fun to like crack the window a little bit while watching the Devils again. Like That's always my favorite thing, and I hope everybody, what they're rooting for with their favorite team, gets what they need in the second half. For the Devils, it's getting into the playoffs. Right. Like they don't need to win the cup this year to be considered a successful season. Would it be nice? Of course it is. Um, You're still going to try because every year is, you know, sacred. But, you know, if you're the Blackhawks, you're rooting for Fantilli or not Fantilli Bedard. Fantilli would be a nice consolation prize for whoever comes in second. But 
I just I'm so excited for the second half. I love that we have races and each of our favorite team is racing for something different. So that adds another element to the show. Um, It's going to be good stuff. So that's what I would like to see in the second half. I completely agree. Frank, although we agree that the Metropolitan Division is going to run away with the All-Star game, um, I think it's time we move off that and talk about another tough subject for old Bean the National Football League in period number three. Welcome to period three, where before we begin, I would like to make a statement. For most of my sports watching life, it has been filled with watching my all-time favorite football player, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. And for the second year in a row, he announced his retirement officially on February 1st, but this time it's for real. It feels for real. It didn't feel for real last year. It just didn't. He didn't announce it. He had nothing to do with it. It was all Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. And Tom was pissed about it. He was visibly pissed about it. And it was obvious to me that he was going to come back for another year. But this is it. This is a seven-time Super Bowl champion who has played in the Super Bowl in 33% of all of his NFL seasons. He has been in Championship Sunday in over 50% of his NFL seasons. He is one of the all-time passing leaders. He is one of the all-time touchdown leaders, one of the all-time true good people to ever play in the NFL. And I have to go the rest of my life without watching Tom Brady play football, which is a sobering fact. But I can't congratulate him enough on becoming the all-time greatest player in the history of the sport, he was drafted 199th overall. He was a sixth round pick. All 32 teams passed up on him six times. And he finally was drafted by New England, where he went on to become the greatest to ever do it. There have been outstanding peers to come his way, talking about Peyton Manning and Big Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers. And then later in his career, he had to deal with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and such. Nobody and I mean nobody, was as successful throughout their entire career as Tom Brady. Were there players with better statistics in the regular season? Yes, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. Were there players who were statistically just a tad bit better in the actual Super Bowl itself? Yeah, Joe Montana. Okay, these guys played in less Super Bowls, so their stats had less chance to you know, falter a little bit. Uh, Joe Montana never lost in the Super Bowl. Tommy went seven and three. But I'll tell you what, you take the entire career, regular season, postseason, Super Bowl, and you melt it all together and talk about the impact that they had on the game itself and the way the position has changed throughout the years, multiple decades, multiple different types of teams. He's a game manager early with a great defense, becomes a playmaking superstar with Randy Moss in the middle of it, and then just an all-around excellent version of both of those later in his career. Nobody. And I mean nobody was as good as Tom Brady, the ultimate winner in sports and in the NFL. We say congrats on retirement, Tom. Good old Teb. Who? Teb. Teb Brady? Thomas Edward Brady. Teb. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Yeah, but we don't we don't speak about Patrick. It's just Teb. Skylar says our extended childhood is officially over. That's true. It just oh, it, fuck, man. That's bullshit. I, when I was in high school, if you would have told me that Tom Brady would play till forty-five, I would have laughed at you. Like I thought he'd retire shortly after I was like in college, you know, forty, like a normal person. I'm twenty-eight, and Tom Brady's officially retiring. I don't know. I shouldn't be sad about it because, like, 
who you know whose favorite player plays for 25 years in the NFL. See, it's a little bit different for me because I didn't have that emotional attachment to him, right? And then the whole retirement thing last year, like when it was when he actually is hanging him up this year, it wasn't it didn't like come as a surprise to me. Like we knew it was coming sooner rather than later. So it kind of like killed the vibe. Remember when we were we were together when his news was announced the first time and all of us were like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Like we were just all shocked. I didn't get that this time around. It was kind of like tainted a little bit from last season. It was. I agree with that. And I know like for someone like you, who's like emotionally attached to him, if I was the same way, it would, it would, it still hurts regardless. And I would, and I would still feel like obviously when, the undertaker retired from pro sports, right? It was different for me because of how big of an attachment I have to him. But I mean, yeah, the NFL's losing a legend and to that, there's many more to come. I mean, we got great football. If you want to look at it from a brighter point of view, we got great athletes coming into the league, great quarterbacks who are, you know, going to try and keep the NFL competitive like Tom Brady did through his career. Um, Tom Brady was also one of those guys you love to like, maybe not you, but you love to root against because he was like the great. And, you know, people love the underdogs, right? That's why people were rooting for the Bengals last year. I mean, people just love a good underdog story. So when you have Tom Brady in these championship games or going to the Super Bowl, you're going to have those guys who just love to see the underdog win and those guys. So, I mean, it's competitiveness, and, and Brady brought that to the sport of football. And that's what I love about Tom, though. He's kind of like a long-term underdog story. 199th overall, mediocre player at Michigan, fat, tubby belly, stupid face, ugly hair, and he can't run, right? Just an ugly overall performance in the combine and stuff like that, and he goes on to become the GOAT, seven Super Bowls. And it was a lot with his brain and his ability, and nobody – you there, if you if you were down four with 30 seconds left, no timeouts, and Tom got the ball, you're like, well, the Patriots won. You know, like down 28 to three in the Super Bowl. You know, the Patriots are going to come back and win. Um, he, and he even found a way to be part of teams where like Malcolm Butler can make that interception on the goal line. Why was Malcolm Butler put in that position to make that interception on the goal line? And, and it's because, well, first of all, because Tom Brady put the Patriots ahead and that made it where the interception was a game winning interception. And few people were around a situation where they were just able to take advantage of, you know, other people's stupidity better. And that's a lot of the times what happened when you gave him an inch, he took a mile. Um, uh, You brought up Mahomes and Allen and like, yeah, I'm so excited to watch those guys, but I'll never be a kid while watching them play. It'll never just be awe. It'll be like, oh, okay, well, I got to go write about this game now, or I got to go podcast about it. Who am I placing a bet on next week? You know, when you're a kid, it's like, well, it's Tom freaking Brady. And I also kind of liked most of my teams suck or mostly have sucked. It was my one time of year where, like, my guy was better than yours. And, like, I was always 
confident that Tom Brady was going to pull it off. And he rarely made me look dumb. To the point where even when they lost, I still looked smart because they almost had a chance at the Super Bowl. And last year, they lost because of a Matthew Stafford game-winning drive Mm -hmm. in the uh, NFC title game. Like, they were uh, 30 seconds. If football games were 59 minutes and 20 seconds, Tom Brady would have won his eighth Super Bowl last year because I think the Buccaneers would have absolutely freaking smoked the Rams and the – or not the Rams, the Bengals in the Super Bowl last year. Um, It's just one of those things. It was like, hey – my guy's better than yours, and I'm going to brag about it. And that's over. And, you know, congrats to him. It was fun. I'll never forget it. I will always be a Tom Brady guy who's the GOAT in sports. It's Tom Brady. I don't want to hear about, you know, Michael Jordan was great. Six championships, 6-0, and oh, regular season stats, postseason stats. He's the GOAT in basketball. Tom Brady's the GOAT in sports. He just is. He has more championships. He was a more profound position that makes more of an impact on specific, you know, a specific sport. That's Tom. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. Very well said. Can't really follow that up, <laughs> no, Nobody ever argued with me on it either. Like, that's just a good way to look dumb is, like, rip on Tom Brady. If you don't like him for, like, other reasons, fine. But when we're talking football and only football – the best way to look dumb was to poo-poo Tom Brady. Um, now we're going to get to the part of the conversation where, listen, I was wrong on my pick, but I warned you. I warned you that the Philadelphia Eagles are probably the most disrespected team I can recall. I, I There is a little bit of recency bias, though, because I remember saying that about the Rams last year. For some reason, nobody wanted to give them a chance. And the NFC sucks. Make no mistake about it. And it sucked last year, too. It was Last year, it was basically just Philly, the Rams, and Tampa Bay. This year, it was pretty much just Philly and San Francisco. And I'm telling you what, the Eagles, they're damn good. And the easiest path to the Super Bowl in NFL history. You picked the Giants to beat them. So how are we going to sit here and call it the easiest path? Because I was dumb. When multiple people said that the Giants were going to beat them. And they smoked them. Then you play San Francisco. They're going to win. San Francisco is going to win. I understand what you're going to get to as your stupid excuse for Philly. It ain't stupid. They beat them by 40. They could have been Tom in his prime and Philly would have killed them. They had no pressure. If Brock Purdy would have made a close game when you're up 20 already, you got no pressure. You're going to heave it down the field. It was 7-7 for a good portion of the game. The Eagles couldn't get anything going. I agree with you, and I know things. They beat Josh Johnson and Danny Dimes. Congratulations. Two guys who won't sniff a Hall of Fame. I understand. Nothing. I understand, but that doesn't take away from their dominance. They won each game by 30. You don't win playoff games by 30. I don't give a shit who you're playing. You're not. But he, uh, so you give them no shot. I mean, we're not we're not making our Super Bowl picks this year or this week. They're this. They're favorites. In the, I'm giving them no shot. If they I will admit I went wrong. On the podcast, the podcast after, if they could beat Andy Reid and a future Hall of Famer in Patrick Mahomes. What if they, they beat barely Danny lose? Dimes, and I don't even know who the coach is for the freaking 
Giants. That's how I don't I don't care because what if they barely lose? What's barely lose? A score they cover. A score like three seven. Yeah, is seven barely losing? I guess. Yes, one touchdown is barely losing. But games like that are normally close. Regardless, they're like rivalry games. I could have a two and ten college basketball play- team playing a ten and two. Uh, team Virginia versus Virginia Tech, and it's going to be close because it's a big game. I can't give the Eagles any credit. I can't. The, the they didn't. Eagles, do, they didn't beat anybody. The Eagles have a better roster than the Chiefs, and that's fine. And it, that's why they're the favorite. But now you're going up against guys who know how to win in big games. You're going against a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Famer, and a quarterback. Come on. Well, this is you- if they could beat this, then it's like all right. If Brock Purdy was in the game, completely different game. That the swing, just unbelievable. I understand the swing, but Brock Purdy is mystery relevant. He didn't like he wasn't great in either of his postseason games either. I don't know, VP. And the 49ers have equally as good of a roster as Philly, if not slightly better. But I mean, that fine that game was that game was dumb. Both both games sure. Philly played in were no fun to watch because they just dominated so hard. It got embarrassing, VP, because they almost had to bring in Christian McCaffrey. And you're going to sit here if you're Philadelphia with your running back potentially at quarterback and you're, like, sitting here because you beat him. Well, of course you're going to beat him by 30 points or whatever it was. Of course. Why? 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 So the Vikings were okay this year, right? Yeah, we know they were both frauds. But the Giants beat them. Okay. Two fraudulent teams. Somebody's got to win. Okay, is every team in the NFC a fraud? I, yeah, every team is a fraud. All 15 teams Except fraud? the 49ers, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, okay, I agree with that. I just, I am dumbfounded at how bad the Eagles beat the 49ers. I don't care about the quarterback. I mean. Like, they, they didn't score on Brock Purdy. I understand They didn't score that. on Josh J- Johnson. They had so many three and outs, though. You gave so many opportunities for the Philadelphia Eagles to score. If Brock Purdy was in... The time that Jalen Hurts would have had the ball in his hands, significantly less. You're probably right. And that's a big reason why the score wouldn't have been as lopsided. But Did you see the first drive of the game? Like the, the 49ers look cooking with Purdy in. They look good. Okay, what what what's your rebuttal to this then? They've lost one game this season that Jalen Hurts started. Correct. That is unbelievable. That that that's not that's not by accident. Yeah, Skyler wants to disagree. A lot of a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I'm not I gonna... I'm probably going to pick the Chiefs, but that's because of Patrick Mahomes. I think the Eagles, they're good. Skyler makes a point. Good teams beat good teams. Yeah. What what good team did they beat? A healthy 49ers team is a good team. Well, they Josh the... Johnson and potentially Christian McCaffrey at quarterback is not a good team. Were the Cowboys a good team this season? Yeah. I'd say so. They won the division that they play in. Correct. And the Giants, I mean, they play they won the division with a bye. They won the only division that sent three teams to the postseason. And the Commanders almost made it. I'd have to say out of all sports in the out of all the four major sports, I'd have to say the most the league with the most fraudulent teams would have to be the NFL right now. Absolutely. I mean, you 
you got the elites of the elites, right? The Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills. Um, who else is up there? I mean, there's not many. There's not a ton of elites. The 49ers no, maybe the 49ers, went healthy. if they get a quarterback. Right. Brock Purdy's not the answer. If you're t- if you could beat those elites, and here's his test. Here's Jalen Hurts' test. Prove me wrong. Win the Super Bowl and prove me wrong. This is his test. I actually think the Eagles are going to. I think I'm going to pick the Chiefs because I don't want – I want to root for the Chiefs at the Super Bowl party, so I won't pick the Philly. But, oh, my God. Then the question I ask you, because you asked me the question, if it's a one-score game, well, what if it's a blowout? What if the Chiefs win by 25? If the Chiefs win by 25, I will say that they were significantly better than the Eagles, which is fine. Then I'll probably think that the Bengals, the Bills, the even the Jaguars were better than not the Jaguars, not the Jaguars. I take that back, not the Jaguars. But those three teams in the AFC probably all would have beaten the Eagles. But if you... Win your conference the way that Philly did. Two things can be true. You can be the only non-truly fraudulent team and still be really, really good. And we've seen that Eagles team with some of the same players go and beat Tom in the Super Bowl when they were underdogs. Yeah. And I don't know. They have one of the best seller or they have one of the best centers in the NFL, two of the top 10 NFL linemen. Skyler says, because of Matt Nagy, I won't root for Kansas City. Matt Nagy is close to getting his second Super Bowl. Just so funny, honestly, to me. Um, Now, now listen, you're the Eagles. It's not up to them. They just play whoever's put on their schedule, right? You you do what you got to do. You you beat some weak teams and you win the division. That's fine. It's It's not their fault. It's the scheduling, the way the scheduling works. So. I'm not saying anything in terms of that. I'm just saying there's a reason people make comments that they've had the easiest path because it's true. I agree they've had the easiest path. Would you rather have a chief uh, a path like the Chiefs or even the Bengals? You gotta play the Bills and the the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl? Come on. I agree with that. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from that. I agree. I just I I'm I'm respecting I was wrong about the Eagles. I'm respecting the Eagles going forward. And I think they'll be here for a long time. They're like we'll see. they're gonna run the NFC again next year. Because next year they're gonna have a first place schedule. So we'll see really how the Eagles are. Oh, that'll be no. another big, They're gonna have another... to play the Vikings, the Buccaneers, and the 49ers, who are really good. Well, the Bucks will suck because they won't have a okay. quarterback. And the Vikings are gonna suck too. Yeah. So their first place schedule is not like most first place schedules. That's why then I, you're kind of agreeing I'm with me. For the Bears, be of... Bears have a last place schedule. <laughs> well, I think the Bears will be better last year. I do year. too. I do I'm, too. I'm, I'm smelling like an eight and nine. Well, it depends how they spend in free agency. Right. They they could be they could go for another rebuild year or they could not. I'll I'll decide my record for them after I see what Ryan Poles does this offseason. If they trade for T. Higgins and I'm spend sure we'll lots of money, it. yeah, we sure will. But I'm just saying, Philly, Philly has a path to be really, really good for a long time. And the only one I could see standing in their way right now is San Francisco. If they get a quarterback, They'll, the Eagles would smoke Brock Purdy. I'm sorry. They would smoke Jimmy G now. I think it would have been a lot closer than we it might've been closer, but I think I still, my prediction still would have been wrong if Brock Purdy played and they're not going to go into next year thinking that Mr. Irrelevant coming off Tommy John surgery, which is what he's getting. 
yeah. they don't call it that for some reason when it's not foot when it's like, football. He completely tore his UCL. Uh, yeah, and I don't understand why they don't call it Tommy John surgery when they're not playing baseball. But that's the, that's the surgery he's getting. It's just because uh, Tommy John was a baseball player. Like I just, it's Probably. Tommy John. And yeah, mystery relevant coming off Tommy John is not their starter next year. Uh, what was your takeaway from Chiefs beating the Bengals? It was a good game. Not as exciting as I'd hoped for, to be honest with you. Obviously, what's it? The idiot at the end of the game cost it for the Bengals. His teammates were pissed. Like, why did you push it? Like, there was a video of the, them walking back to the locker room and they were yelling at him, Why the F would you push him? I mean, that you, you blew the game. And obviously, that's a good call. That's a great call by the refs. You got to yeah, call it. Is. He hit he hit him clearly out of bounds. But there were some questionable calls in that game that the refs had, which I'd be kind of surprised if they were officiating the Super Bowl because even Zach Taylor, he was irate for some of the calls that were going on. I mean, there was there was a point in the game where they got two chances at third down. I was confused. It was fourth and four, and then they reverted it to fourth or third and nine because apparently – they said they blew the whistle or whatever, and they couldn't hear. I mean, there was just some weird things going on in that game. And honestly, that last play with the whole pushed out of bounds, if that doesn't happen, there's a good chance it potentially goes to overtime. And, then, and from there, who knows, with those new overtime rules, anything could happen. So questionable calls. I wish the game would have been a little bit more entertaining because it was very slow at points. It wasn't that shootout that you may expect to see with Burrow versus Mahomes, but it was all right. I agree. Um, that was a good call at the end. It was a badly officiated game. Um, the NFL is a serious problem on their hands. Ian Rappaport did go on McAfee and say that the NFL knows that and it will be addressed this offseason. But do you know who's doing the Super Bowl? I don't. Forget his last name. I he's, wish it was. He, I wish it was Jerome. I like Jerome. Uh, a lot of people don't, though. <laughs> I know. He's... We like Frank. We like the way he announces penalties. Yeah. We probably wouldn't love his officiating, especially. No, he, he's actually, from an officiating point, he's he's one of the worst in the NFL. Well, the person doing the Super Bowl, the head ref, I forget his name, is the referee who threw the most flags of any referee in the NFL this season. Wow. So get ready for a lot of yellow on Super Sunday. Um, yeah, the Chiefs won. Both teams are top five in the league. We set, We discussed there was a big five in the NFL this season. Two of those five are playing in the Super Bowl. It's not really much of a surprise at all to me. Um, we'll make our picks next week. We'll dive deep yep. into like the X's and O's of the Super Bowl. This is more recapping what happened this last weekend. That's the nice thing about having two weeks in between. But um, I think the Chiefs, they had better time of possession. They had more third down conversions. They had more passing yards. They played better defense, even though they only won by three. I, I just think the Chiefs probably should be disappointed that it came down to a game-winning field goal, which kind of speaks to the clutchness of Cincinnati because mm -hmm. they played well when it mattered in that, except for that final drive. Um, Burrow didn't have his best game. He threw two picks, and one of them was terrible. Yeah, it was awful. Um. You know, we've seen Burrow play better, a lot better. And I'm in no way letting one year or one playoff year deteriorate my opinion. I'm not going to use it against Josh Allen, so I'm certainly not going to use it against Joe Burrow. Josh Allen was terrible down the stretch. I, I told you something was wrong with him for weeks. I didn't want to believe it. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully he gets it straightened out. Joe Burrow had one tough game. He wasn't bad. They didn't lose because of him. There are some games the Bills lost because of Allen. 
throwing interceptions all over the place. There was one really bad Joe Burrow interception. They still had a chance to win. Um, I am not out on the Bengals. I think they'll be one of the best teams in the league again next year. They're going to start after workout contracts a little bit. If they trade T Higgins, I certainly wouldn't be all that surprised because they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow's going to get paid and all sorts of stuff. But the Chiefs were better in that game in every category possible. And they kicked the game-winning field goal, and now they're going to the Super Bowl for the third time in the career of Patrick Mahomes. They have been in five straight AFC championship games. I think it's fair to say now that they are the cream of the crop in the NFL. Absolutely. Remember the one year Joey's like, Chiefs stink? And we're like, give it time. He's like, Patrick Mahomes is terrible. Yeah. Ugh. Dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. I mean, and they'll be a favorite next year, too. Like, whether they win or lose this game, I like the Eagles in the Super Bowl, though. I'm just not going to pick them because I'm wearing my Chiefs hat to the party. Like, I I hate the predicament I'm in right now because I think the team I want to win is going to lose. And I don't know. It, 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 I enjoy Championship Sunday overall, though, because you get two games who have the similar magnitude to the Super Bowl, and they're back-to-back. I was telling G, Championship Sunday is one of my favorite weeks of the year because it's like the mini Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, but this year, just it, it wasn't there for me. The, the whole 49ers game kind of got depressing after Purdy left. I think we got robbed. Um, and the Chiefs game just wasn't as exciting as I was hoping for. There wasn't a lot of scoring, a lot of field goals in the game. Um, it's just not what I expected this year. I was kind of disappointed. The Super Bowl, though, is going to rock. I hope so. Chad Henney's a capable backup. I forget who's Philly's backup. Who played for Hertz while he was injured there? Was it Glennon? I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank on who played in place of Hertz those last couple weeks of the season. Um Hold on, I'll find it for you actually. Wait, is Patrick Mahomes not playing? No, he is. I'm just saying in case something like that oh. happened. You scared me for a second. I go, excuse me? <laughs> no, I'm talking... Um, in case. In case. Like, in case we have a situation like the... Right. Um, what do you call them? The 49ers. Right. Gardner Minshew is their backup. Yeah, so He's okay. He's, eh. he's better than... He's better than Purdy and Josh uh, Johnson. Whatever. I think he, he's way better than Josh Johnson. I'm I'm high up on Purdy. I really um, am. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, he could be a good quarterback in the NFL on a really good team with Kyle Shanahan. Of course, he proved that. But I think if Gardner Minshew was on the 49ers, they would have looked real good. I don't know. Um, but what I'm saying is, if Either of those two got hurt, you wouldn't go to Josh Johnson. You would go to Gardner Minshew or Chad Henney. Chad Henney led a 90-something yard Super Bowl drive, the longest drive of the Chiefs' season this year was not by Patrick Mahomes. It was Chad Henney in that game against the Jaguars. So I think the Super Bowl is going to rock. I hope so. I really do. So your overall thoughts on the weekend, not that eh, great? Not for me. I didn't have that same feeling this year. It's kind of boring. Even the night game? I wanted more out of it. 
I really did. We know those electric Bills, Chiefs matchup, Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, uh, Bengals, all those different types of matchups. I just didn't get that. It just didn't live up to that standard for me. And it's a shame that I have to have a standard, but when you're this blessed with how well these quarterbacks are and the talent you get from these teams, you want a little bit more, and I just didn't get that. Get ready for the Super Bowl, my friend. I hope so. I I don't think it's going to be entertaining. Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes are coming for the entertainment factor. I hope so. I hope you're right. I would almost guarantee it. I don't say that very often. I really don't. Um, it's going to be one of those things like because of how, I mean, it's one and two in the MVP race this year. So like I, when one team's down by a touchdown, I'm going to have no, no objection to the idea of the other team getting the ball back and coming down and scoring again. If the chiefs blow them out, I'm just going to give you a slow turn and just look at you. (laughs) Okay. All righty. I mean, it's possible the chiefs blow people out but that will not take away my opinion that the Eagles are a really, really good team, and there's a reason they blew out every NFC team they played this year. We'll see. Including a team that we both picked to beat them. No, actually, two teams that we both picked to beat them. We are 0-4 combined picking in playoff games that the Eagles played in. Yeah, They have my respect going forward, no matter what. They can gain it. With a win on February 12th, but it's the only way, VP. If the Eagles win, we're going to come in the next year after the fiasco. I'm going to come in with the Jalen Hurts jersey. No, but there is the fiasco with Cincinnati football, the Bobcats or Bearcats. There was the fiasco with the Rams, you and Joey hating on Stafford. There's this fiasco with the Eagles. Next year, you're going to come in and be, no, this time I'm for real, though. Well, it's like you in Toronto <laughs> with the Maple Leafs. You're Keep always like, this is more. the year. Keep coming back for yeah. more. My Leafs. My <laughs> Leafs. They're going to smoke Tampa Bay this year, and the playoffs is not even going to be close. Frank, I saw my guy, Pat McAfee, come to the Royal Rumble this year. Talk to me about the Royal Rumble. Talk to me like I'm a complete idiot. Well, interestingly enough, the Royal Rumble was probably the first bit of wrestling I've watched in but since before COVID, it's, it's been a few years, a couple of years at least since I watched. It was actually really entertaining. Pat McAfee comes out right away. The Men's Royal Rumble kicked off the show. So before the entrance got in the ring, Pat McAfee came down. Michael Cole's a big Pat McAfee guy, huge. Um, I, Dylan told me that Michael Cole actually said to in like an interview that like Pat McAfee helped revive his career a little bit because he enjoyed announcing uh, next to him it like he thought about like retiring but when Pat McAfee like was in WWE for a little bit it like rejuvenated him and he loved <laughs> he loved it so much that it like helped his career a little bit and um having him there at the Royal Rumble you could just see how I mean how excited Michael Cole was he's a funny announcer Pat McAfee he's great um as far as that the Rumble was interesting uh, Cody Rhodes won the men's Royal Rumble from the number 30 spot, and Rhea Ripley won the women's from the number one spot. So he had 30 and one win it, which is pretty cool. There's an interesting storyline going on right now called the Bloodline that Dylan really likes, and he was explaining me. He had to explain like all the details behind it, but it's like Roman Reigns, like the Godfather of WWE. He's got his little posse, right? I know he's got Paul Heyman now, right? He's got Paul Heyman, three Uso brothers. 
and he had Sami Zayn in for like a little thing. He was trying to become an Uso because he was feuding with Kevin Owens and Sammy and Kevin are best friends. But like Sammy didn't know, should I stick with my best friend or should I should I go and try to be Sammy Uso instead of Sammy Zayn? So he has got he's got this whole like mafia, right? And he literally like he talks like it. He sits there like talking like he's the godfather. Like when he everybody comes out or when he comes out, everybody in the crowd, you gotta throw up ones. Gotta throw up ones. You can't disrespect the bloodline or whatever. So it's funny. I did it and I threw up a two. And I'm like, don't do it. And he's like, what you can't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it's it's actually a really interesting storyline. I really like the way they're going about that storyline. Obviously, Royal Rumble kicks off the road to WrestleMania, so that was really fun. And uh, overall, it was a really fun night. Hell yeah. Very cool. Very cool. What other things are you watching or playing upcoming weekend? Uh, I'm going to play Slay the Spire a lot. That's a game I used to stream. Trying 100% the game. That'll be fun. Also going to play the new SpongeBob video game. Um, I got it. No, I'm not laughing at you. It is not at all what I thought you were going to say. I'm excited. I want to try it out. Uh, It's Cosmic something. I think it's called like Cosmic Shake or something. So uh, I'm really excited to play that for Xbox. Um, It'll help with my writing as well. Get some good content out of that. Um, We also obviously about to finish season five of Thrones. So we'll be starting season six. And I didn't realize that season uh seven and eight of thrones combined is 13 episodes we're almost done we're here we're about to close it out um so that'll be interesting the last of us episode three we haven't watched yet you ask anybody you want like all these people online all these celebrities like it's unbelievable are saying it is it's one of the best episodes in television history not just the last of us so I, i i was stunned when i heard that um I haven't heard one bad thing. Truly, it's a it's a fantastic show, from where I've seen up to so far. And another show that um, we're watching right now is Kings of Pain. It's a it's a History Channel show. It's these two guys, uh, Adam Thorne and Rob Aleva, I think his name is. They uh, we watched season one many years ago, and then season two was actually came out when we were in Door County, and we didn't realize that. And it's these guys getting bit by insects and like different animals to test their pain scale, right? They're creating a pain scale. Like what are the, some of the most painful animals in the world? They do it based on intensity, how long the pain lasts, the damage it does to your body or whatever. It's really interesting. Um, there's actually a lot of good shows on the history channel. I like, like, so that's something we've been watching and it's been really good so far. Hell yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. For me, this is the week where we catch up on everything Marvel. I yeah, we going, gotta do that too. I am going to watch Mrs. Marvel. I'm going oh, yeah. to watch She-Hulk. And is that all I'm missing besides Wakanda Forever? Uh, you could watch the Guardians Christmas special. You don't have to right now. Oh no! I, I would suggest to watch it before Guardians Three. I will probably watch that. Yes. It's, all, it's like less than an hour. Like, yeah, you know, I will probably watch that too. So, um, so my goal is to be caught up completely on Marvel with uh, the devils don't play till Monday. Like all my writing and stuff is based on non-actual games. Uh, none of my teams are playing. The White Sox don't start spring training till right after the Super Bowl. Um, the devils are off till Monday. 
the Bears and Jaguars are done. There's only one NFL game left. Um, I write for Puck Pros, but most yeah. of those aren't necessarily like for one game. They're not like it's I don't. Good All Star Game content. Yeah, so the All Star Game is big skills competition. I'll be following along with Jack Hughes and Seth Jones covering the Chicago Blackhawks and the New Jersey Devils for the sites. And then for the puck pros as a whole, I'll probably write based on what happens. I don't have any specific thing in mind, but if McDavid goes out there and scores 15 goals, I'll, you know, do something along the lines of McDavid. But until Friday night skills competition, I have a couple nights of freedom and I'm going to try my best to, be ready for Ant-Man by the 16th. I'm very, very excited for it. Um, I do want to watch The Last of Us, too. I'm only three episodes behind. I could catch up easily. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if I'm able to do that as well, because I like being in on the hype. Um, everyone's watching That's it. Right. You know, Rear Admiral from Spittin' Chicklets, RA, mm-hmm. he tweeted, The Last of Us must be a wicked fucked up game. And I hear his voice saying it in his Boston accent. And he meant that in like an endearing way. Like, this yeah. game's got to be fucking awesome. Yeah. And hopefully I get around to doing that. I can't I wait to like watch to. episode three. I've never seen anything like this before. I've never no. seen people say it's the best episode, one of the best episodes in television history. That's wait, unbelievable. Wait till you get to season six of Thrones. I can't wait. <laughs> it's up there for one of the best seasons, they say. It's a debate between season four and season six from what I've read. I like season six the best. Okay. And I like the very last episode of season seven. Like, like, I can't uh, wait. Oh my god, absolutely unbelievable. Um, yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to doing this weekend. Oh, I started playing Chell a lot again. Hell yeah! Like, I'm I'm eight and one online. Like, I'm sick online. I'm a pub star, and when I play good people like you, I get destroyed. But I am the definition of a pub star. I played four straight games two nights ago. And the kid I was playing quit in all four of them. That's good. Like no, it was more really games than yeah. Uh, but like, I'm I'm I think I'm a pub star. I think if I played someone who's considered good, I'd get smoked. Which there is probably a way to get better. Yeah, I know. But when I play random people online, they have no chance. None. <laughs> Climb the leaderboard. It's always been my goal to be number one in the world in pubs, but I yeah, just but don't I feel play like enough start- games. Don't you start playing people though who are like amongst yeah, it's, you? Yeah, it's skill based matchmaking. Yeah, so because and you I am so low, many games. Yeah, I'm sure I did climb up like eight thousand spots just by that one night though. Hell yeah, that's good. So we'll see what keep, happens. Keep working at it, VP. I'm gonna keep trying exactly. Um, I am excited to get to America's favorite podcast segment. Of the week, breaking bets. Where's my money, bitch? Frank, the floor is yours. What a terrible week last week, but we're forty percent right now. Nice. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Um, 0-3 in the NFL, and you just talk so much junk telling me I'm on glue with my predictions for football and whatnot. Right. I mean, 0-3? Right. Can't wait to be 1-3 after Someone next week's Someone in here stinks. 
Yeah, it's you. Go take a shower, VP. Um, I'll start us off. I only do in three picks this week because I'm not going to do a pick on the Pro Bowl, but I'll have a pick for the Super Bowl next week. Um, so let's start off with the uh, NHL. I believe tonight's the last night before official break, correct? Correct. Only two games on the schedule. But the game I'm going to focus in on most in the NHL would have to be the Bruins at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Bruins lost three in a row. This is a huge rivalry game, obviously. Um, the Bruins are not going to want to go into the break losing four in a row. So I'm going to go with the Bruins money line at minus 121. Toronto's been a very good home team this year, which is something I'm not used to. I think they got like four regulation losses this year at home. It's just for me, the way Bruins are on a different level right now, they're like almost like Colorado last year, similarly. It's just very hard to see them losing four in a row, and it's something they're not going to want to do going into the All-Star break. So I'm going to take Bruins money line at minus 121 as my first pick. Second pick, number Tennessee, or number Tennessee, number two Tennessee in college basketball, taking on unranked Florida, the Gators in Florida. Uh, Tennessee is minus five and a half. They're on a bit of a high right now. Florida has had four days to prepare for this game, and obviously this is a big game on their schedule. They're home against one of the best teams in college basketball right now. The line's five and a half. I think they could get it done and cover the spread at home at plus five and a half. That's a lot of points. That's a lot of points, and when you have a a very good roster, you got a lot of talent on your roster, and you're going up against another team who is significantly better than you, but if you prepare correctly, and like I said, they've had four days to prepare for this game, I think they could keep it close within a score two, hopefully if the score if it's a two-score game, it's within five points, um, but I think they could get it done and cover the five and a half. I think that is generous amount for a team at home, and I just, the other night, Tennessee was home against Texas. And Tennessee absolutely dominated ranked a ranked Texas team. But I think this is going to be a little bit different on a roll. They're coming off a high. I think this is where they come down to earth. In a game that may be overlooked on the Tennessee side, was definitely not overlooked from the Florida Gators side. I think they could cover the 5.5, and, and that is at minus 120. My final pick for you is also college basketball. We got Creighton at Georgetown. Georgetown has just been a huge disappointment in the Big East. Uh, Creighton has been the opposite. They started out as a huge disappointment, and when they got healthy, they have become one of the best teams in the Big East, to be honest with you. But I'm not going to go with a side here. I'm not going to go with an over-under for the game. Instead, I'm going to go with, and here you go, Vin, you could say it if you want, over 69 and a half (laughs) for the first half. Um, Creighton scores 68 and a half. Point two points, uh, or no, they score Creighton seventy eight points per game on average, and Georgetown scores seventy two points point seventy two point four per points on average, but they give up almost seventy eight points per game, which is just outrageous. I think this shouldn't be too hard for teams to score in this game. I think each team will have maybe about thirty five at half, and if that's the case, you get the uh, the first half over. Um, and there and just. Georgetown the whole time, they're just going to get peppered by Kalkbrenner. He shoots for Creighton 74.7% from the field, and that's because he normally gets in the paint, goes down low, and he's the he's just the type of guy who just dunks it, and he's got those easy shots, hence why he's shooting uh, basically 75% for in this season, which is just unbelievable. And Georgetown's just not going to be able to contain that. I like over 69.5 for the first half at minus 115. Very, very nice. 
Those are some nice predictions. The record's like not as nice as you'd like. But you're, right. actually, you're actually doing well in NHL, college basketball, and I'm NBA. 500 on the other ones. Yeah. Doing two, but three, and three, one, and one. When you start seeing the NFL start coming on the screen, you start going, some glue. <laughs> That's when you start to fade my picks. That's when you learn. When I do an NFL pick, fade it. <laughs> That's funny. I don't even know what's going on with the Pro Bowl. I don't care. I know I Trevor either. Lawrence made it. Trevor Lawrence made it. It's the only all-star game I don't watch. Me too. They went from Trevor or they went from Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen to Trevor Lawrence, Tyler Huntley, Derek Carr. Snooze fest. Literally. I mean, go Trevor. Um, of course, tomorrow you could talk baseball with me and Joe Mandel on Crosstown Crosstalk. Joe is a special guest host tomorrow as we interview White Sox prospect Sean Burke. Very excited to do that on an actual good baseball podcast. Um, that should be a lot of fun. Um, very much looking forward to talking Sox, talking Cubs, talking Sean Burke's career since we last had him on. The last time we had him on, he was a couple days removed from being drafted by the White Sox, and he was still in his childhood bedroom with, like, kid wallpaper on. <laughs> now I imagine things are a little bit different for him after a year climbing up the White Sox prospect pool a little bit. So that's very much exciting and can't wait to do that. So make sure you tune in tomorrow on the Barroom Network as well as watching the rest of the great shows here on our network that discuss things like sports, like movies, anything you might have heard here today that you like. You can get more of it at the Barroom Network all week long. Um, Frank and I will be back here next Wednesday to go over the NHL All-Star Game and what we see coming on with the rest of the teams in the league. Um, we will preview the Super Bowl and each give you our picks, maybe some prop bets, colors of Gatorade and whatnot. We will have an entire period dedicated to the Super Bowl next week, and I'm very, very, very excited to do so. I'm actually going to begin writing it very soon in the next couple days. Cool. Um, that'll be one of the first things I do for the next show because um, there's very limited hockey outside of the All-Star break. So I'll probably write the show on Sunday. Um, it's going to be outstanding. I very much encourage people to do it tomorrow. Crosstown Crosstalk, 2 p.m. Make sure you tune in. White Sox prospect Sean Burke. Um, we know how to do a baseball podcast here at the Barroom Network, okay? And I'm very proud of what we do, and Crosstown Crosstalk is some of the best. You can read all my work at thewindycity.com, puckpros.com, blackandteal.com, southsideshowdown.com, and pucksandpitchforks.com, um, covering various sports, hockey, baseball, football at the most, of course. Frank's work is over at apptrigger.com. I saw he read or wrote about the new, this is where, this is a subject Frank and I both wrote on. The fact that Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Miami Marlins is the cover athlete for MLB 23 The Show. I'm sure that is a game both Frank and I will play over the course of its time. It's coming to Nintendo Switch, which is really nice. Um, I actually might get it on that just for shits and gigs, just so I can play I it on the road. That... Is it different? Oh, yeah. It's not only different, but it, it's just the graphics aren't as good, obviously. Cartoony. It's, just, it's well, not, I mean, not cartoony. I mean, you'll still get good. It's just, I wouldn't suggest buying a game like that on the Switch. I understand. You're, it's that, nice to have on the go. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I was going with it. But if you, I'll take your opinion strongly. You're the video game guy. Yeah, I wouldn't suggest it. All right. I mean, 
plenty of other games to play on Switch too. Um, so make sure you read. See, Frankie's the expert, and he'll tell you the way it is. Which? He might be on glue with his football picks, but he knows his video games. Speaking about good Nintendo Switch games, I am one of a few people who I wrote an article on that's not released yet. I'll let, let the people start wondering. But uh, I have a pretty good source as to what the next um, big Mario Sports Nintendo Switch game is going to be. It's not even announced yet. Um so it'll be pretty interesting. So if you want to know what that is, you can read my upcoming article coming out. So that'll be really interesting. There you go. Very exciting news. Maybe Frankie will let me break it on Twitter. We'll um, see. Using his I, article. I could send it. it, it it's interesting. Yeah, that's going to be really, really fun. Um, so make sure you read Frank's work at App Trigger, my work. Uh, you can find it all on Twitter at the King Bean at Vinny Parisi. I highly encourage everybody to watch the NHL All-Star Game for Frankie Mueller. I'm Vinny Parisi. As always, thank you for listening.